When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Last week was the anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission, which saw Neil Armstrong take steps on the moon. And in listening to people uh, call in about that and reading a lot of the email correspondence that I got, the thing that I was struck by is what that did to ignite the imagination of probably everybody in the country, maybe even everybody in the world, when it came to space exploration. I read this uh, article that uh, William Shatner, uh, a talk that William Shatner had given, all about his trip to space and how, even though he was only up there for a few minutes, he wanted to make sure that he made the most of his trip to space and watched out the window of their spacecraft and saw the Earth and saw everything in it. And I really think that I found both of those stories so inspiring because the bottom line is there is so many exciting things happening right now when it comes to space exploration and space travel. You have all the private sector space travel led by the space billionaires uh, Bezos and Branson and Musk. And then you have what the images that we're getting back from the James Webb Space Telescope, and we're just seeing images that I, I think they look like there's something out of a Star Trek film. Really, really impressive. And that's to say nothing, and I realize this is kind of a totally separate category, that's to say nothing of the fact that the government, whether it's the Pentagon, whether it's Congress, or whether it's uh, other government agencies, finally seem to be willing to take these UFO sightings or UAP sightings that we've been seeing for the last, you know, I don't know, uh, 80 years or maybe more, kind of seriously. So if it were up to me, I would talk about space all day long, every day. But bottom line is, I don't have the kind of expertise when it comes to space that I'd need to in order to do that. But we have... Somebody that does. So I may not have the answers, but I do have a great many questions. And the man to answer those questions about space and everything that involves looking up at the stars is Steve Cates, a.k.a. Dr. Sky, a veteran radio and TV broadcaster and edutainer with a great deal of expertise in astronomy and space. Also the man with the best voice in all of radio. Steve, it is great to talk with you again. Thanks again for joining us. Well, Frank, it's always a pleasure to be with you on the other side of midnight as we continue another episode into the infinite. So thank you again for having me. Steve, what did you end up doing last week for the anniversary of Apollo 11? I'm betting it was something pretty interesting. Well, it's interesting, Frank. I did a number of public events here in Phoenix and in the state of Arizona. 
and of course on some other shows that I'm doing across the nation. But what we did locally here, we celebrated with a lot of people, many of them seniors, and I find that this is interesting. Many of the senior centers out there and senior communities, it's amazing when you give a presentation like this because I ask, and it's great because this is for the 53rd anniversary, so many in each of these audiences raise their hand and tell me stories, which I feel so humbled mm. because I could sit there and listen to this all day. But we mark this by showing some interesting movies, you know, brought the space models that I have, all to do what, Frank? To keep the spirit alive for the next generation of people, the younger and middle-aged folks and everybody who's listening that has an interest in this. Let's not give up on this goal of moving us out to the stars and for many reasons, uh, actually, a very good goal, at least in my opinion, and I think yours too. Absolutely, no doubt about it. All right, where to begin? Well, let me begin with the James Webb Space Telescope. This is something sure. that's gotten a lot of attention, and deservedly so. We've seen a lot of images that are quite breathtaking and much more detailed than uh, the similar images of these similar portions of space that are being that have been photographed previously. Can you explain to folks what kind of images we're getting from the James Webb Telescope? Additionally, the question that I keep getting from listeners, and it's one that I've struggled with explaining, but I'm betting you can explain a great deal with a great deal more clarity than I've than I've been able to, is we're told that a lot of these images that we're seeing through the James Webb Telescope are images of galaxies and other parts of space from billions of years ago. How is it possible that a telescope that's up there now is showing us something that happened billions of years ago? Well, the simple answer is this. Let's go back to the great Hubble Space Telescope, still a great piece of technology. Its mirror, Frank, is about seven and a half feet in diameter. But in James Webb, we get a compilation of about 18 mirrors, that give us an actual aperture, if you want to call it that, or area to see, mirror-wise, of over 21 feet or thereabouts. So because we have the capability of seeing in the infrared, in the heat signature, this is the primary uh, devices that you know James Webb is using. The recent telescope images that are coming out that most people saw, one of the first images looked like just a bunch of dots and little curves on there. But what's so fascinating about that, and I'm sure pretty much everybody's seen it by now, television and people, of course, in the media have replayed them many times. You're seeing these little curvy areas like wings around the areas of stars. But what we're actually seeing, and Einstein predicted this very well, that the closer you are to a massive gravity source, light literally gets bent so in this case, we're looking at multiple images of the same thing through the time-space continuum. But how about this? Recent images, in addition to the ones that we've seen, and some that we're going to be seeing very shortly, show a galaxy at 35 billion light years away. Now, that's probably one of the big records, which means that we're peering back into the time just before, a little after the Big Bang, which is actually, in my mind, a big expansion, 235 million years after that expansion happened, and the goal for James Webb is to peer into space as we get closer to 100 million years after the expansion. So the simple answer is, how do we get to see more detail than Hubble? We have a bigger aperture of a mirror. We have a better way to penetrate, that is, looking in the, in the, in the you know, area of infrared. And this telescope, literally, so if we had a 1,000-foot-in-diameter mirror, who knows? We'd probably get as close, but not necessarily 
to the moment of expansion. Hmm. So it's only going to get better. It's just fascinating. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that is fascinating indeed. By the way, we are going to take some questions for Dr. Sky about anything having to do with space or astronomy or the sky in general, whatever. 800-848-9222. That's one 800 848 9222 uh, to sweeten the pot for our New York area listeners. Actually, no, it doesn't have to be just New York area. It could be anywhere in the country if you feel like making the trip this Saturday. Is uh, whoever Dr. Sky judges to have the best and or most creative question this hour, we are going to give you a pair of tickets to see the Staten Island Ferry Hawks take on the Lancaster Barnstormers. And it's WABC Day, so the WABC on-air talent is going to be playing the NYPD softball team before the game. So whoever comes up with the most intelligent, most creative question this hour, we're going to give you a pair of tickets, uh, and uh, you'll be able to see us make fools of ourselves when it comes to softball. Um, Are you a softball player, Steve? You know, I'm not, but I got to go back as a native New Yorker, Frank. This is interesting. I'm that old that I remember being there. I didn't know much about it. But I was there in the, I called it Shea Stadium back in the 1969 series. I think it was what, Casey Stengel was there as their team manager? Well, no, in 69 it was uh, it was Gil Hodges who just got oh, inducted okay. to the Hall of Fame. But it was Casey uh, Stengel a, a couple of years before that. He was the first wow. manager the Mets ever had. So, uh, well, yeah, you're going, back, uh, you're going back a ways. All right. Um, let me ask you about what's going sure. on with uh, with China. We're seeing this Chinese rocket booster might be coming down to Earth. Why is this Chinese rocket booster coming down to Earth? Where is it going to land? And is this something we need to be worried about? Well, the short story on this is about a Long March 5 rocket. This is China's newest and, in their way, most powerful rocket to launch something very special. It launched back on the 24th, and its payload is the next module of an already existing Chinese space station known as Tiangong. On board that particular rocket is the Wintian module. Now that docked with the Tiangong, and that's the the beginning, I should say, of a building block of another series of rockets that are going to launch with the third part of this particular space station in October called the Mingtian. Now it's only 236 miles above the Earth, which is lower than the ISS, but here's something problematic with this. This is, and it's a little technical, this is a non-hypergolic-fueled rocket, meaning it's not mixing fuels together like we do when you have a fuel and an oxidizer that are burning. It needs a fire or some kind of an ignition source. So we don't really know. But what happened is that particular first stage, it should have come down and it should have done it like, you know, just exactly as it should, but it hasn't. So the latest information I can give the listeners here on another side of midnight is that the latest projections, and this is all done by the good space people out there that track this, Get a load of this. July 31st, 7.07 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. But here's the problematic part of it, Frank. It has a window of plus or minus 24 hours. So what I'm saying is Mm. nobody really can tell you where it's coming down. And not to alarm people, but the flight path of this booster rocket is above 88% of the populated area of the Earth. So, wow. But more than likely, these these debris, these booster rockets, do successfully enter the Earth's atmosphere. And the best place to drop one of these is an area in the South Pacific area just off the coast of like Chile. It's actually what they call a a rocket ship graveyard because many of them aim for that area because if you take a look at a map, there's probably not much land at all in that area. So that's really what may be happening, at least on this. But it's actually interesting. It's a 187-foot booster. 
So could you imagine if you were out at sea in a boat or just, you know, having fun going across the ocean and like you say, oh, my good, honey, or hey, look, take a look, Bob or Frank, look at that thing. It by that time probably would be in pieces and coming down like a large fireball display. But you never know. Look at Skylab. It survived the safe onboard Skylab survive reentry over Australia and a lot of debris hit the earth. But let's be uh, you know positive here. More than likely, it should go into the ocean. That's right. At least what the Chinese hope. Well, you're you don't sound concerned, so I'm not going to get too concerned about it. Not really at this point, but uh, stay tuned because remember when you have a plus or minus 24 hour window. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's uh, not giving us a lot of spe- you know specificity uh, on this. That's for sure. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Folks already queuing up to talk to Doctor Sky. Let me begin with Dave in Connecticut. Hello, Dave. I get to lead off. Uh, Doc, does gravity yes. travel at the speed of light, or does it warp space and it goes faster than that, like maybe what even happens, instantaneous? Well, that's a very good question, and we hope that you might be the winner later on, and we'll be determining that as the show goes on. But what happens is gravity does warp light, so that's the point. So what happens is gravity, as it is, as it exists out in space, when it's closer to, or a light source, I should say, is close to a gravity source, Einstein predicted this, and back in 1919, he was the one who predicted that as closer you get to a gravity source, and he actually found this to be true when there was a total eclipse of the sun, he predicted that Mercury, albeit where it should be in the sky, should be deflected a little bit. Why? Because of the sun's excessive gravity, and he was right. So basically what we're telling you here and all the listeners of this great show is that over time, the closer you get to a gravity source, Light is actually bent in space, and that's exactly what I was talking about, Dave, with those images coming from James Webb, the first ones. Russell is in Queens. Hello, Russell. Yeah, good evening, guys. Dr. Sky, I was wondering about uh, all these uh, solar storms we've been getting. Yes, sir. Uh, The solar flares, and a lot of them uh, seem to be aimed at the Earth. Yes, is, and that's is true. Is this the preparation for another Carrington event? Well, you know, Russell, you're very much on target here. From people who don't know what you just described, back in 1859, we have one of the most powerful solar storms ever to hit the Earth. And in the days before computers, I'd call the telegraph the analog Internet of the day. The power of those solar storms actually set wires and those cables on fire on the Earth. Right now, Russell, what's happening is solar activity on Solar Cycle 25 is very strong. But you got to remember, flares travel at the speed of light. So if a solar flare blasts off the sun, it'll get here within eight minutes. That's how long light takes to get from the sun to the earth. But these coronal mass ejections, big proton and energy storms that come up through the sun, through the corona, take 15 to 20 hours or so. Both are not good, but just keep an eye on, uh, well, keep an eye on space weather because it definitely will affect the earth as solar cycle 25 increases. Absolutely. 800-848-9222. We're going to continue with your questions in a moment. I have a lot of questions myself. Steve Cates is here. If you ever want to follow the Dr. Sky blog and see a whole bunch of interesting stories, including some of the ones that we're going to be touching upon throughout the next hour, you can go to KTAR.com. There's a ton of great stuff on there. And uh, if you're interested in space or astronomy, there's some great content on there for you. But we'll continue with your questions in just a moment. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Dr. Sky, kind enough to join us for the hour. Straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is The Other Side of Midnight, a show where we enjoy talking about what's in the sky. And uh, we're doing it with Dr. Sky. Uh, His Christian name is Steve Cates. He's a veteran radio and TV broadcaster and edutainer who has a great deal of expertise when it comes to astronomy and space. Steve, I understand there's a great deal of searching for asteroids coming down from the sun. What are these asteroids? Who's doing the searching? And when are they coming down? Well, that's a very interesting series of questions. We're cutting to the chase on this, Frank. It's interesting. For the longest time, scientists have said, we need to find a way to see what's coming around the edges of the sun. Problematic thing number one. Telescopes in the daytime, if you're looking at a solar telescope, The overpowering light of the sun is going to prevent you from seeing much of anything because of that light. Now, we find out that many organizations and many scientists around the world, including the big observatories in Chile that sit up in that, you know, rather dry and clear sky, they're saying it's about time to do these wide field, gigantic, as I call them, they're like giant cameras with megapixels. And we're going to be looking there because that's an area where we really have a weak spot. So anything that sneaks through there, albeit maybe the size of a school bus, all the way up to the size of an asteroid that could be a global killer, we need to have this technology. And not to scare people, but we've been going kind of blind for so long. Many people may not realize that over the course of even the last 10 years, small objects from space, not just meteors, but small chunks of asteroids have actually made it through the atmosphere intact. The most famous one recently was the Chelyabinsk event. How about this? A 66-foot-in-diameter piece of nickel iron that came through the Earth's atmosphere totally unannounced. So we're hoping that the technology will catch up and maybe we can catch some of these ahead of time. But the next problematic thing is, what do we do about a way to stop it? And there's also some stories about what I'd like to explain a little later, what the Chinese are proposing. Again, the Chinese are doing a lot of things in space, not only with spacecraft, but also radio telescopes and other things. Mm. Uh, Nino is in Hilden, New Jersey. Hello, Nino. Hello. Hello, Frank. Hello, Dr. Sky. Good morning. Uh, I have a question about the expansion of the universe. It's a question that's always sure. kind of baffled me. But the mm-hmm. question is, uh, what is the universe expanding into? Well, that's a very. So good maybe you question. can give me a satisfactory answer for that. Uh, well, absolutely, and I wish I could give you an answer that even scientists in this world today, even the best of cosmologists, the honest, true answer is really nobody knows for sure. But when that expansion took place, and I sound like, you know, a teacher that's been scorned because so many of the programs that I've taught over the years, people are always referring to it as the Big Bang. I refer to it as a big expansion. Why do I make a you know a very fine point on this? It's because we weren't around, obviously, when this expansion took place. So what astronomers and astrophysicists feel is into that great void. This entire universe that we know today on edge to edge is probably about 45 billion light years on each side, the radius. So now we're probably looking at what? Just multiply that by two, 90 plus billion miles on each edge. But nobody's really sure what we're expanding into. And that's a very problematic thing. One of the theories is, and this was one that Stephen Hawking came up with and I think needs further explanation, he's passed on to the infinite, is that we probably live in a world of multiverses where there are multiple universes as if they're sausages on a string. I know that sounds very simplistic, but the real truth of the matter, Nino, is nobody really knows what the universe is expanding into. It's the great ether out there, the great unknown. And it's a fascinating question. I wish I could give you a better answer. I think everybody, even the most high-level scientists, would probably have to say, if they're telling you the truth, nobody really knows what it's expanding into. 
Steve, you mentioned that uh, that Chinese plan to save the Earth. Is that specifically a, a plan to save the Earth from asteroids or from something else? Well, it is. And here's the basic skinny on this. The Chinese are proposing, again, these things take a long time to affect, but here's what they're proposing. They're looking to put two very large optical telescopes at both poles of the moon. Well, we haven't sent humans back there for a while, so this isn't going to happen anytime soon. But the idea actually plays out very well, because in accordance with that, they're looking to put a number of small satellites that would be in the orbit of the lunar of, of, of the moon itself. Now, if we detect an asteroid coming in, whether it's small, if it's gigantic, I don't think we can stop it. But it's far better, in the astronomer's opinion, common sense, to be farther away than if we detected it from the ground, meaning here on the Earth. What it would have on board these little satellites, they're rockets, they would have a kinetic energy device. What are that in simple English? It would be like taking a sledgehammer and slamming it and crushing something. They've done this before with a mm. couple of asteroids to test it. And also they could have some other you know, chemical, uh, like a bomb or something like that. Not in, say, nuclear. Who knows? But that would hopefully give us more time in the event that an asteroid was coming and we had and were told the truth that we had a little more time to prepare to do something to even deflect it. Don is in Long Beach. Hello, Don. Hi, Frank. Hi, Dr. Sky. I have called a couple of times questioning um, why we don't do a return, you know, sample mission to the moons of Mars. Well, guess what? I looked yes. up uh, some information, and I found out that Japan in 2024 is going to launch um, a mission. It's called MMX. Uh, Mars Moon Exploration. They're going to explore both of the moons, uh, Deimos and and Phobos. Yes. And from Phobos, they're going to they're going to do a sample return mission. So there you go. Well, thank you. I mean, that's one, and I'm always honest with this audience. I mean, there's so many missions. Excuse me, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and Frank. There's obviously so many missions out there. But Don, you've just enlightened us. And just to add to this, they are some of the most problematic and, and unique moons in the solar system. Many people think they shouldn't be there. Both of them actually discovered in 1877 by an astronomer called Asaf Hall at the Naval Observatory, where the vice president lives, that observatory there, one of the great Clark telescopes. But it was actually theorized, Frank, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, in Jonathan Swift's Gulliver's Travels, he describes in his you know, prose and in his writing in the novel the discovery of the moons. He gets it right with the size and the dimensions and the distances from Mars. That was, what, 150 years before they were discovered. That's a strange story, but let's get some sample material from those little tiny moons. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, China is not the only country that's doing exciting things when it comes to space. Not Neither is Japan. The NASA, there's so much attention that's paid to the private sector space oh, yeah. exploration, but NASA is still doing some interesting things. What is the SLS moon rocket, and what is the latest with that? Well, this is exciting. It really, in my opinion, hasn't gotten enough uh, media coverage. So here we go. It's called the SLS, the Space Launch System's Orion Moon Rocket. What is it? It looks about the size of a Saturn V. It's a little shorter than 365 feet tall. It still uses the solid rocket motors like that of the space shuttle and, of course, a very powerful series of rockets to get it into space. They've been playing around with this rocket, and I'll be fair to them. Playing is probably not a good word. They put it inside the Vehicle Assembly Building, one of the largest buildings on Earth where the Saturn V was stored in the event of a hurricane or to do work on it. They, of course, put it on the big tractor that takes, I think, about four miles to get to the launch pad. 
they did a kind of a hard test on it to see if they could fuel it up. They put it back into the big building. And we're hearing, this is good news, a launch which might replicate without three astronauts. They're going to put three you know, anthropomorphic dummies inside there <laughs> to do all measurements. But it hopefully could launch as late or early, I should say, as early as the end of August or maybe into September. And this is a good mission because it needs to test out the functionality of SLS. It's a very powerful rocket, and it's giving now both, uh, well, I guess Elo, you know, Bezos and, of course, Elon Musk some competition here. But they've had this in the planning stages for a while. Its capsule on the top is known as Orion. It's a much larger replicant of the Apollo capsule. And hopefully, and I'm guessing, this is not a good answer, but I'm guessing as they are, to get humans back to the surface of the moon, maybe as early as 2027 or 2028. Wow, uh, that would certainly be something. 800-848-9222. Jim is in Colorado. Hello, Jim. How are you doing? Jim. Hey, good morning. How are you? Jim, what's you your question? Me? Go ahead. Yeah, I was wondering, uh, all, the, uh, all the greenies and everything, could this, uh, the solar storms right now and all that, be responsible for the global warming that they say we have? You know, I don't think so. And I, and I want to go back and thank, thank you very much for calling in, Jim, from Colorado. I just wanted to mention this very clearly. The all weather comes from the sun. So whether you're a believer in climate change or not, folks, I mean, this is just something I always say. I don't think that the incidence of solar radiation and solar energy or solar output has really been doing anything to cause this modern climate change as we see it. But remember something. We're talking about all over the country, probably Colorado, too. I know here in Phoenix, the temperatures are always hot in the summer, naturally. But back in 1936, we had a tremendous heat wave that was even more obstreperous, much more intense than what we have now here in modern times. And then there was no real talk of human activity causing climate change. So, again, the sun does, you know, it's responsible for all the weather. But in this particular case, I don't really think it's responsible for any of the so-called climate change at least not in the short period of time that we're talking about that. But the the trend is that the more recent years are warmer for whatever reason. I mean, that that's a fact, right? There's no debate yes, about that. Absolutely. But I'm saying it again. This is very interesting. The temperature changes, the high temperatures. Why did we get such a high you know, series of temperatures in 1936 that caused a lot of damage and might have been a prelude to the Great Dust Bowl that we had? And that was horrible. I, mean, I did some research on that and couldn't believe how bad the whole Dust Bowl thing mm. was in the Midwest. But you're right. I mean, again, it's, it, to me, a lot, look, a lot of people will say, Frank, oh, this is subtle science. But I'm one of those that likes to just keep an open mind and say, let's look more at these trends. But as Jim brought up here, yeah, there may be something to this. But uh, I don't think directly with Solar Cycle 25 that it's causing the Earth to have a different climate that quickly. I think this is something that's been going on a lot longer. Every week, Steve, we do a, a segment on uh, on Atlantic City. And one of the things that has nothing to do with gambling that people are pretty excited about is the Atlantic City air show that's coming up on August 24th at the uh, at the at the boardwalk. And it's really it's really great. You could see the oh, yeah. the Thunderbirds. You could see the Rhino demonstration team. And it's something that I know people in South Jersey really get a, a big kick out of. But uh, this is far from the only air show that's worth watching, isn't it? No, absolutely. And a part of Dr. Sky, so people know it's not just astronomy and space. We're heavily involved in the subject, of course, of aviation with our photo team. 
And to just mention, we have a website out there that I'd love the listeners to check out if you're interested in you know, military and civilian aviation. Go to the photorecon.net website. It's pretty much a photo archive, but it's something that we have correspondents out there. My brother Joe does most of this, but these air shows are great. And to see the Thunderbirds, I think it's just a great experience for people who've never seen them. And, of course, the Navy's preeminent team, the Blue Angels. Mm. But there are other big air shows going on. And I just wanted to mention this because I've not been to this one, and I'd love to. And, Frank, I'm sure you would love it. Right now going on is the 2022 EAA Air Venture, the Oshkosh Air Show. That's taking place in Wisconsin. It's probably one of the biggest meets for people, not only in the private area of aviation, experimental airplanes, military, all kinds of things, July 25th through the 31st. That's a place I'd love to get to. And we also find out around the world that the Farnborough Air Show, which is kind of more like a sales thing where they have different companies exhibit different aircraft. And, you know, you go in there with your checkbook for the billions of dollars that you'll spend on these new military platforms. That just ended on July 22nd. But I'd really like to go to this one. How about the Paris Air Show? And there's still time. Mm. June 19th to the 23rd in 2023. And, Frank, a very sad thing happened back there at the Paris Air Show, if people go back in the time capsule. In 1973, the Russians, they wanted to build and did build a competitive aircraft to the Concorde, which, of course, is, has been flying for so long. And I know people who've flown on it. You probably do, too, Mach, you know, going up into the Mach 2 range. They built an aircraft called a Tupolev Tu-144. What did it look like? It looked like, in many ways, like a Concorde, but it was different. And it actually flew different routes from, like, Sharapetyevo Airport in Moscow all the way out to Vladivostok. But what did these pilots do at the Paris Air Show? Well, they got into that little competitive mode of who can do half faster and higher and what have you. And they rolled this aircraft around, and sadly, it crashed right in front of the entire spectators. Oh, no. All on board were lost, including some tragically, you know, tragic life, loss of life on the ground. But if people look at that, I mean, I'm not saying to look at gory movies, but the Paris Air Show is always the famous place around the world. But that's something that the Russians tried to do. They had an actually interesting aircraft that consumed so much, air, you know, fuel. And I like to call it a dirty burner. What's that? If you ever see those old view movies of B-52s taken off, you see the big exhaust plumes coming out of this. This thing may have gone fast. But it had some of the most dirty burning engines. So anybody interested in the ecology of the world today would say, ah, that one's putting out too much carbon footprint right there. Hmm. But that was sad what happened. Oh, that's for sure. 800-848-9222. Mike is in Queens. Hello, Mike. Yes, sir. Gentlemen, uh, right to it. Good morning. Do, they tell, do, the, do the telescopes have the ability, the, the, the big telescopes that we put up now, uh, to point at a planet, a galaxy, uh, or something else out in the universe that we can see what the elemental emissions are, like for example, uh, carbon or uranium or gold, oh, yeah. uh, to get to give us an idea of what's worth traveling to and what is not. And I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you very much. Well, I like that question, Mike. And here's the basic answer: Yes, they do have the capability of doing this. Obviously, the telescope uses a technology too called spectroscopy. Fancy word. It's basically like you had in high school. In school, you had a little prism and you could see the rainbow colors. What they're doing is looking for elemental lines along what they call angstroms. Uh, this gets a little technical, but here it is simply. You'd look at the different – if you took a fire and you burned a different chemical element and you look through a spectroscope, you're going to see certain emission lines or certain absorption lines. And what you're going to be able to identify there, depending on – let's say we're looking at an exoplanet and it looks like it has water, at least from what we think, you would be able to tell – 
the different spe spread spectrum of what elements are in these particular objects, even at a great distance. And that, with the greater telescopes like James Webb, can you imagine the kind of discoveries that we're going to be making to find that planet that is what we might think, Earth-like, and who knows, maybe possibly habitable. Great Abs question. Absolutely. 800-848-9222. There, um, in terms of the weather, it's not just the fact that it's hot that is uh, uh, getting people talking about the weather, but uh, there are some fog days in this summer that uh, that's pretty unusual, at least I would think. What's happening in terms of unusual weather beyond the heat that we're seeing this summer? Well, Frank, it goes back to a weather phenomenon we simply call hail, and that's interesting. We see it in all parts of the world, depending on the, you know, the time of year, mostly, of course, in summer seasons. And without going through a super detailed explanation, we take water droplets, we shoot them up high into the way up into the atmosphere, maybe 50,000 feet up where the thunderclouds have a, what we call an anvil head and maybe higher. And then it races down again at super speeds and then pops back up. And what do you get? You get these little things that could be the size of a pea. Or, as I'm going to describe, and I found this out just by doing some research here myself, the most damage ever reported in history about a hailstorm, hailstorm damage, I would imagine it occurred like in Oklahoma or Kansas or places like that. No, it happened in my area, Phoenix, Arizona, back in October of 2010. And along the area near where I live, a friend of mine had his van and all the cars on the road were pummeled. In other words, it looked like somebody shot it with a machine gun all the way to the car, sadly dented, damage to homes. But the bottom line is about $3.5 billion, I said billion dollars in insurance claims. That takes the record. Wow. And I was shocked at that. But the world, as far as having damage from hailstones where people died, goes back into the late 1800s in India, of all places. A hailstorm ripped through that part of the, you know, through the world, killed over 240 people, sadly, Get a load of this. Hailstones the size of oranges. Now, that's something to worry about. Hmm. Thank God we don't see that on a regular basis. I should but hail so. is a problematic thing in the summer with hail, uh, with thunderstorms. Yeah, absolutely. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Joe in Queens. Hello, Joe. Hi, Stephen. Uh, Good morning. My question would be, uh, you know, we sent a couple of probes to Mercury and they say that actually it was more fuel consumed than it would have been to send uh, probes going the other direction outside of the solar system due to the uh, difficulty of dealing with the gravity of the exactly. sun. Exactly. Now, now, could you just go over how does the sun's gravity increase so much as it goes towards Mercury? What, what exactly is happening? Well, here's an interesting answer. The Messenger space probe, one of them that we're talking about here, it successfully imaged a planet that looks exactly like that of the moon, you know, just totally cratered, has maybe, maybe a very thin, finite atmosphere, nothing that we could breathe. But the route to get there isn't like you would drive your car down the street, turn left, and then you get to your destination or turn right. It had to take the long way around. So what is that? It goes around the Earth. It would spin out into the solar system to do a slingshot. So when it finally gets to Mercury, it's using enough speed that it would overcome that oppressive gravity of the sun. Because remember, Mercury's distance from the sun is on average of about 36 million miles. Now, people may think, well, that's, that, that, that's far, 35 million. We're 93 million miles away from the sun. We all know that from school. But the problematic thing there you're looking at, Joe, is that the gravity of the sun, you need to have enough speed so that you don't, 
you know, without that speed, the sun's going to take over and say, yeah, you ain't going to get a hold on Mercury. I'm in control. That is the sun. And that's a very difficult mission. So what do you do? You use a lot of fuel to get there as opposed to pushing yourself out into the solar system where it might necessarily be what it is, less gravitational force than you would have as you get closer to the sun. And remember, if you get close to the sun, we have a telescope that's gotten close to the sun. It's it's an amazing uh, solar telescope. And when it got close to the sun, I read these reports, it was traveling at over 350,000 miles an hour. And luckily for it, it has an orbit that doesn't let it get sucked into the sun. So you'd weigh, I think you'd weigh, what, 20 or 30 times your weight if you could stand on the sun. But I'd rather stay here. Oh, yeah, especially with uh, with the, my belt uh, buckles needing expansion <laughs> as much as they are. Last thing I need is a sunburn and a, uh, and a larger waistline. Uh, we're going to continue with your calls in just a moment. 800-848-9222. Dr. Sky is here for the hour answering your questions on space. Whoever comes up with the most intelligent and most creative question, as uh, judged by Steve Cates, we're going to give you a pair of tickets to see the Staten Island Ferry Hawks on WABC Day on Saturday. So that should be a lot of fun. Hopefully I'll get to see a lot of you there. We'll continue straight ahead. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Sun indeed. We're talking about the sun with uh, Steve Cates, a man who knows a great deal about uh, the sun, the moon, all all the stars in the galaxy, and uh, the best places to observe them from Earth. You want to check out his blog? You can do so at ktar.com. There's some great stuff on there. Steve, speaking of sky watching, anything uh, coming up in the sky uh, in the near future that people should keep an eye on, particularly in our area? Well, we have plenty, and I just want to remind people, these are the dog days of summer. And I looked this up a long time ago, and it's interesting and proud to mention here. The dog days of summer have a connection to astronomy big time. The brightest star in the heavens we know is Sirius, the dog star. And to the Egyptians, it was known as Sabdet. And this is interesting because what they, what they looked at, the Egyptians, they saw this thing called the helical rising of Sirius right around this period of time in July. What did that mean? It meant the flooding season, the Nile would, you know, the, the, the growth season, the planting season. Sirius itself is known as the scorcher. So the combination of that star rising before the sun, we get what we call the dog days of summer from the constellation of Canis Major, the dog. That's the constellation of the large dog. So that occurs right now. That's been going on since July 3rd to August 11th. But in the sky, this is interesting. We have some opportunities all across your listening area on the other side of midnight. 
The moon goes new in just a day. So obviously this is the dark of the moon, as we call it. The best time, in my opinion, whether you're in Colorado, whether you're here in Arizona, wherever you're listening to this radio show, if you have a clear sky, get a pair of binoculars and look to the southern sky right around 10 p.m. This is the magnificence, Frank, of the summer Milky Way in the core of the galaxy of mm. Sagittarius the Archer. That's a beautiful thing to see. And meteors from an upcoming meteor shower called the Perseids are underway right now. It peaks around the 11th or 12th of August, but the problem there is the, the full uh, moon at that particular time uh, will kind of wipe out. So if I, would, if I was out, and I will be out, and hopefully people will be, right now you're looking up into the northeast sky from about, say, 2 a.m. till sunrise. Any of those meteors you see are Perseids up in that direction from a famous comet called Swift-Tuttle. So that's interesting. Absolutely. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to John in Freehold. Hello, John. Hello, gentlemen. Good morning. Um, So I have uh, two questions, if you don't mind. The first one is, if the the universe is expanding, that would mean that it would be giving it direction and velocity even if it goes out in you know all directions sure um so if we're if we're looking into the past when we look out say there's life all the way on the other side mm-hmm. um would like they wouldn't be looking at the same time as us right no not like at all seeing, how would that work well, here it is. If you look at the expansion, let's say I was right at the point where it started, that dot, let's say, hypothetically. Obviously, that's 13.8 billion years ago. So let's say we discovered where these new images came in, John. Let's say we discovered that there's this galaxy and we found a planet in there. That's 35 billion light years away. Well, how does that make sense? Because it's been expanding ever since then. But that was 35 billion years ago that we're seeing it. So in other words, the light from the time 35 billion years it took to get here, whatever civilizations may have been there may not be there at all. And it's so interesting that you bring this up because if everything's expanding, like Nino had asked before, what's it expanding into? Nobody really knows. So it's one of the greatest conundrums. But, but, but here's something else, Frank, and I wanted to mention to John and the listeners. When we see the universe expanding, We would think like you threw the rock into a calm pond, you see the ripples eventually fade out. No, what's happening Mm -hmm. is one of the big conundrums in physics today, or quantum physics, is something called dark energy, meaning that something in gravity, instead of it slowing down, is forcing it to go faster. And these are some of the great mysteries that we're trying to resolve in the world today. But, John, you bring up some good points. Uh, We're looking back in time, so if there was any life from there... It's look look at the time distance. They they might they have to be a pretty hardy civilization, don't you think, guys, to survive? Oh yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, let me ask you this, Steve. Uh, the International Space Station that has been a longtime partnership with the United States and Russia. Now oh, that yeah. there's all the the this tension with the United States and Russia, to pull it, put it mildly, Russia is apparently planning to pull out of the International Space Station after 2024. How big of a deal is this? Uh, can this space station continue without a Russian partnership? And do you see any way that uh, Russia may reconsider their decision to pull out? Well, it's interesting you bring this up. They're going to end it, as you mentioned, after 2024, political tensions aside. But what they're looking to do, their new director of their space organization is called Yuri Borisov. 
He was a former deputy prime minister in Russia. They've decided, and he's put the paper over to Vladimir Putin, and what are they going to do? They want to build their own. So Mm. when he put that proposal in front of uh, Putin, he just looked and said, good. So the truth of the matter is, I think we could have done without the Russians. I think Americans could have done this, and I think the Russians could have done this pretty much on their own. But it's sad to see that that's penetrating at at least the, I don't know, Many people out there are smart. I'm sure so many smart listeners out there, they get it. There's been such tension between with the Ukraine war that obviously Russia really doesn't want to be there, but they'll kind of say, eh, we'll cooperate until, you know, we'll build our own. And don't forget, China's building the one we just talked about. If You know, the expansion of that, that's going to be big. All these rockets going up, we're going to have almost like, what? we need a traffic cop in the sky pretty soon because we're going to have so many different platforms up there and including the gateway space station that they need to build around the moon as part of that future SLS project to the moon, they will be building a space, a space station, I should say, around the moon. And that's a smart move because if I go to the lunar surface with you and let's say we want to have a replenishment of supplies, it's hard to go all the way back home to the earth. Mm. We need to have a docking station. And that's a very smart move. Roberta is on Staten Island. Hello, Roberta. Oh, hi, Dr. Sky and Frank. I just want to know if- if, if Good morning. Dr. Dr. Scott believes that, that the climate change is as bad as the, the looming left would have us believe. Do we have to worry that much about it? Well, I think, let me say this again, I, I don't want to take a political position on something like this, and, and I would, but I, I think it's more like to educate through science here. I, I wonder sometimes, I mean, I'm concerned about that myself. I, I'm not a polluter. I hope nobody out there just intentionally throws mercury in the garbage or, you know, other, other sure. toxic things. But the reality, I think, Roberta, is I just don't know how to answer this. I mean, as Americans, we're being told that there's this great climate change thing and some around the world, but there are nations, and I think we could look into this and we'd probably look and point our finger at even China. They're not doing everything they can to, to reduce the carbon footprint. Does that mean we don't care? I just hope and pray that uh, maybe somehow, maybe I'm being a little too overly optimistic, Roberta, hopefully somehow we can all figure out a way to get along here because nobody wants to intentionally pollute the planet. But uh, that, that that's another topic for another day, right? Uh, yeah, no, that, that I'd certainly uh, – I don't know that we're going to cover that in the course of the next few minutes. <laughs> it, apparently, the, we are celebrating the 10th anniversary of NASA's Curiosity rover on Mars – uh, what is what is the Curiosity rover? Why has this been such a big deal over the course of the last 10 years? And what has this contributed to what we've learned about the Red Planet over the years? Well, we sure know how to put down a spacecraft on the surface of Mars and have it run around, albeit if it's nuclear-powered or solar-powered. But we've gotten a lot of interesting information. And hopefully nobody's come up with the answer that everybody who wants studies Mars wants to know. Was there life? Is is there life still in those rocks on the surface? Moving, though, to transpire to the other, the Perseverance rover, that's another success story. And obviously now that little helicopter called Ingenuity, they've kind of shut it down because if we go to the planet Mars right now and take the audience with us, Frank, it's now winter in the northern hemisphere of Mars. So a little Ingenuity, the little amazing helicopter that spins with the rotor blades much faster than Earth because of the thin atmosphere, it's made, I think, like 29 flights, but they had to curtail it because dust builds up on the solar panels and the lack of sun in the, in the winter, you know, the low angle of the sun, doesn't give it enough oomph. But there on the surface of Mars, that's in a crater called Gale Crater, which if any place on Mars that we've looked at, 
that may have been a lake at one time, and they're right in a dry lake bed. So we're hoping that these spacecraft, uh, like the Curiosity and this Perseverance, will hopefully give us some answers before Elon goes there on his one-way mission. Otis is in Friendship, New York. Hello, Otis. Yes. Uh, my question is, if the universe began 13.6 billion years ago, mm-hmm. started from a small Big Bang, how can light just now uh, be reaching us from shortly after the beginning of the universe? Wow, this is a good question there, Frank. Otis, you've you're got, you got something going on here, and I'll answer it this way. Around 380,000 years, let's say, after the so-called big expansion, as I call it, other than the Big Bang, the universe changed dramatically. There was a great heat buildup. And this is technical, but they call it the cosmic microwave background radiation. In other words, it's like you took an egg and threw it into a pan, and you didn't use anything to, you know, when you try to scrape it out there, it just burnt the pan. At that point in time, things changed dramatically. The universe literally heated up to a great degree, producing an incredible amount of photon energy, meaning light. And this is not just that little dot that we saw when it expanded, but it gave us today everything that we know of. What you're made of, Otis, what I'm made of, what Frank's made of, everything you see around you is all star stuff from that creation. So light more than likely started to propagate the universe when that cosmic microwave background radiation thing, it's just a searing signature that that literally coats the whole entire universe. It was like another heat up and build up, somewhat referred to as cosmic inflation. But I got to be very careful when I use that word, Frank, inflation. Yes, sad to say, folks, there's really inflation in the creation of the universe, (laughs) not just here on the Earth. (laughs) John is in Bayonne. Hello, John. Hi, Dr. Sky. You mentioned the uh, moment of expansion. Yes. Um, What if the Webb telescope can um, see before the moment of expansion? I know you can't see. You're talking about 100 million years after the moment, but what if we could actually go back and see before it happened? What would be there? Well, I can say this to the audience once again, John, and I'm very humble here. I probably have no, I have no answer to this, but the guy who really should be doing that question and answering it, he's passed on to the infinite. And that was Stephen Hawking. What was he Mm. doing, John? He was actually extrapolating mathematically what came before the initial little dot. Like if you took a laser on the wall and that was the beginning of the universe, they say that within the first trillionth of a second, think about this, the universe could have been held in your hand maybe the size of a large orange or a grapefruit. But nobody knows what was before that. Again, the only thing I can tell you from my level of experience is that there are probably multi-universes, multiverses out there that also have gone on through time. But this is another one of those conundrums that, what will we need, Frank, about two billion hours to talk about it? Yeah, uh, and how. Uh, All right, uh, Dr. Sky, we have had a lot of good questions this hour, and we're going to turn to you to select a winner to see who gets some baseball tickets this Saturday. Well, here we go. And I thought that Nino's question about cosmology, the expansion of the universe and what it's expanding into, I would give Nino the tickets to the great ferry hawk. All right, Nino, call us back, 800-848-9222. We'll give you a pair of tickets. Steve, it is always a treat to talk with you. I'll look forward to doing it again soon. Likewise, thank you for having me on the other side of it. All right. Uh, a lot more to get to for the over the course of the next three hours. Maybe we'll even squeeze in some more space stuff. 
In any event, uh, if uh, there's ever an hour that encourages you to say the three little words, it's this one. Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Do you know who Hope Solo is? Um, I'm sure you've heard the name, but even if you don't know who Hope Solo is, that doesn't necessarily matter when it comes to this discussion. You could still have an opinion about what we're about to discuss. So Hope Solo is a big soccer star. I know nothing about what's going on in the world of soccer, but she is 40 years old and... She was caught drinking and driving. And here's what's interesting, and I'll give you all the details, but this is sort of the top line. She was handed a 30-day DWI sentence. She will not spend any time in jail due to time served in rehab. Now, this is someone, I'm going to give you all the details in just a moment, This is someone that was passed out behind the wheel of a car with two-year-old twins inside. So she's 40 years old. She's an adult. This is not a 19-year-old. I don't know what her financial situation is, but I'm sure she can afford an Uber or a driver or a taxi. But she was also charged with – so she's handed this 30-day DWI sentence. She won't spend any time in jail due to time served in rehab – passed out behind the wheel of her car with two-year-old twins inside. She was also charged with misdemeanor child abuse and resisting a public officer in connection with this incident on March 31st. Her attorney, Chris Clifton, said those two charges were voluntarily dismissed. A news release from the Forsyth County DA's office said a judge gave Solo for um, a suspended sentence of 24 months and an active sentence of 30 days. She was given 30 days credit for time spent at an inpatient rehabilitation facility. The judge also ordered to pay, uh, ordered her to pay $2,500 in fines and a $600 fee for the cost of the lab test. So she pleaded guilty to DWI four months after she was found passed out at the wheel of a car in a North Carolina Walmart with her two-year-old twins inside. Now, she was convicted in court for this incident and hit with this 30-day prison sentence. She's not going to have to serve it because she already spent a month at a rehab for alcoholics and drug addicts. Now, I don't know where to begin with this story. I'd love to know your reaction to this. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let me say a few things. One, I am a big believer that there are way too many people in prison and there are way too many people in jail. My belief is that prisons and jails should not even really be used as punishment. I I don't love that, uh, using prisons as punishment. I believe Prison uh, and, and to a lesser extent, jail should be used as places where we keep people 
so that they don't hurt anyone else. Now, I recognize that we use prisons to punish people in this country. I think the prison experience should be a lot better. I think it should be a genuinely rehabilitative experience, not something where, you know, you you, uh, get forced to be treated like Jean Valjean during the uh, during the early 1800s. I think the prison experience should actually be something where you learn skills, where it's educational, and it should be something that uh, maybe not a vacation, but something that is used to make you a better person. Also, I uh, have had friends that have gotten arrested for drinking and driving. Many. I've had family members that have gotten arrested for drinking and driving. I recognize that this is something that is, is terrible, but it's something that a lot of good people do. That all being said, now, I don't drink and drive, and I drive and I do drink alcohol, but I don't do the two, and there's never a need to do the two anymore, especially when you can have an Uber pick you up anywhere in the world. I don't drink and drive, but I would absolutely, in a thousand years, 100% never, ever, drink and drive when I had a child in the car. Um, Not only because I'm afraid of anything happening to that child, not because I'm worried about being arrested, because I'd be terrified of my wife. My wife, prison would be easy versus the punishment that my wife would dole out if I were to ever drink and drive with our son in the car. I mean, forget about it. And um, if I ever heard that somebody was drinking and driving with my son in the car, forget about it. You you would not be able to control me. Um, I don't un- understand how you can drink and drive so much so to the extent that you're passed out with two-year-old twins in your car. Uh, I recognize that she's probably somebody that is battling uh, alcoholism or some type of addictive issue. My view is, so what? There are a lot of people that do that. Alcoholism and addiction, uh, just as I said when we were having a discussion about that veteran that attacked uh, Lee Zeldin the other day, alcoholism and addiction, in my view, it it doesn't give you an excuse to commit crimes. And I really think that Hope Solo, even if they're not going to make her serve her whole, uh, you know, lengthy sentence that was suspended, I really, which was, I believe, whatever I just said, 24 months. uh, Yeah, 24 months. They need to make her spend at least 30 days in jail. The fact that she was in rehab is excusing her from being able to spend 30 days in jail. That's crazy. That's crazy. And you know why it's got to be done? Because it's great that she went to rehab, and I hope rehab helped her tackle whatever issues she was battling with. But she's also, she needs a sobering wake-up call of what will happen if she ever thinks about doing this again. There's, There's a lesson that's taught when going to jail which is why people still use jails and prisons to punish people, there's a lesson that's taught in going to jail that I don't believe is taught in going to rehab. Uh, Look, those of you that have been to rehab can speak to this better than me, but how many times 
Have you known people that have gone to rehab for alcoholism or drug abuse and then they relapse? Well, what if she relapses? Don't you think it would be good the next time she's at a bar or thinking of prying open her liquor cabinet when she's got to drive her two-year-old twin somewhere, don't you think that she should be reminded that uh, she's going to have to go to prison? Now, she will have to go to prison because that 24-month sentence was suspended. But I also think that by people seeing Hope Solo go to prison or jail for driving drunk while having a two-year-old twins in the car, it also sends a message to the next guy or the next gal that just because someone's a star, just because someone's got money, that um, they're still going to be dealt with harshly if you're drinking and driving, especially when you have children in the car. In my view, there is absolutely no excuse for this. What say you? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. So Chris Clifton, her attorney, told the Winston-Salem Journal as the embattled athlete took to Instagram to claim she's slowly coming back while bizarrely professing how proud she was of her parenting after raising her kids during the brunt of the pandemic. What? What? I mean, you're bravely raising children during the brunt of the pandemic? Well, what is everybody else doing? Everybody was raising their children during the brunt of the pandemic. Well, nobody was putting their children up for adoption. I mean, statistically, almost no one during the pandemic. What do you expect? Some sort of an award? And you're not a good parent. You're getting drunk and getting... First of all, you shouldn't really be getting drunk when you're caring for a, a let, one child that's two years old, let alone two. But you certainly should not be getting uh, to... You shouldn't be getting in a car while you're driving drunk. While you have two two-year-old twins in your care, this is not a good parent. This is the worst parent in the world. Uh, not the worst parent in the world. This is a very poor parent. And the fact that she would go on Instagram and essentially look for praise from the public for being a good parent, it tells me that she has completely not learned her lesson. This, to me, looks like someone who benefited from being a celebrity, being what I presume is pretty wealthy, having a very good attorney who can make a deal with the DA's office. And this smacks to me of special treatment for the wealthy and the famous. If you think I'm out of line here, I'd love to know what would happen if you were to drive drunk in North Carolina with a couple of two-year-olds in your car. And I want to emphasize that um, it was not just the um, it was not just the drinking and driving that was a, a big deal. She was charged with resisting a public officer. So this is crazy. Now, this happened on March 31st. There was a passerby that noticed this soccer player passed out for over an hour in the parking lot. What if both of her children were inside at the time? What if that passerby had not seen her? Where What would have happened to these children? I mean, you want to let your mind go crazy with what could have happened to these two two-year-olds who were left basically unattended because their mother was drunk and passed out in the driver's seat 
of a car. I mean, there's no telling what could have happened. Just to me, I don't understand how this woman got away with this without doing any jail time whatsoever. None. Because she went to rehab? To me, that's not a sufficient excuse. And you know what this will do in the future? It it is going to say to every celebrity, every superstar athlete going forward, that if you drive drunk, you don't, even with two-year-old children in the car, you don't have to pay the price for that if you're willing to go to rehab. And that is awful. Now, apparently Hope Solo is considered one of the greatest female goalkeepers in history. And uh, she did go on to thank her family, her friends, her fans, as well as the treatment facility that she attended after her arrest. But um, to me, this is absolutely outrageous. She has repeatedly come on the wrong end of the law after being nixed from the national team after insulting opposing players. She was fined, um, uh, you know, she she was fined in this incident. I, I think this is a pattern with Hope Solo. This is not an aberration. And I think this is something that, um, I don't know what's going on in North Carolina. I think this is crazy. By the way, the vehicle's engine was running for more than an hour. So she's passed out in the front, behind the steering wheel. The vehicle's engine is running. There's two children in the back seat. So the police arrive. What does she do? She refuses to get out of her car. And then she fails a field sobriety test. A responding officer could smell alcohol. She was taken to the magistrate's office where she refused to take a breathalyzer test. So police got a search warrant for a blood sample. So there's now hours that have passed by. They got to get the search warrant. She was refusing the breathalyzer. She does the failed sobriety, field sobriety test. She fails that. And then by the time they finally get her blood, it was still a point two four. Three times the legal limit. Can you imagine how high that blood alcohol content was when she was driving these kids around? Because that that alcohol, that booze, has had time to process and get out of her system a little bit. This is hours later, and she's still a point two four. Oh, and by the way, mom of the year, who's bragging about what a great job she did during the pandemic as a parent, she also had THC in her system. So she was smoking pot while driving while driving as well. Now, forget about the fact that she's not going to jail for a single day at all on this. I mean, I think there's a serious case to be made for taking these poor two-year-old children away from her. And I don't say that lightly. I'm not a guy that likes to separate children from their parents and i don't know i know she lives or her husband uh, i don't know if it's her husband or her boyfriend but it's uh, an nfl star i mean for all i know he's a great parent i suspect that he should have been keeping an eye on his wife here yeah i suspect he knew there might have been issues with her but 
you're smoking pot or doing something that puts THC in your system and you're getting drunk, driving your two-year-old twins around, this is just crazy. Um, When I said at the beginning of this that, in my view, prison and jail is a place for people that are going to hurt someone, this, unfortunately, is someone that is going to hurt someone. And, look, I hope and pray, literally, that this rehab worked for her and she's kicked whatever substance abuse and alcoholism issues she has. But we've seen too many issues where rehab doesn't work. And she's not going to go to jail? I think this is crazy. And it smacks to me of special treatment. What do you think? 800-848-9222, Open lines. Uh, let me say hello to Joanna in Connecticut. Hello, Joanna. Can I ask a question? Was this her first DUI? Well, um, it, well, she has had previous brushes with the law. In 2014, she was arrested at her home for assaulting her nephew and a half-sister. That case was dismissed after the prosecution witnesses refused to uh, testify against her. So she's had legal problems before, but um, but she... She I, probably was drunk then, too, though. I know? would imagine. So she was suspended for 30 days in early 2015 after she and her husband were pulled over in a soccer uh, in a soccer owned van, and her her husband was charged with uh, DUI. So uh, this, I believe, was her first DUI arrest, but she has had other arrests for other issues previously. But you, when they talk about bail reform, see, this is the same kind of thing. This rich lady can go to rehab and get out of going to jail when poor people can't. So in, in a way, that's the same kind of thing they're talking about when they don't want to take money from poor people going to jail. You know, that is such a great point, Joanna. The whole rationale behind uh, bail reform is that we don't want people put sent to jail because they're poor. This is exactly right. This is essentially being, if you're rich and famous, you get out of going to jail because you're rich. Uh, that is a great point. Can you imagine if a poor person who's been arrested previously whose husband has a history of DUI, um, gets arrested with THC in their system, passed out behind the wheel of a car while they're driving around, two two-year-old twins. And imagine if you don't have the money to hire a high-priced defense attorney like this. I, I, that is a wonderful point, in my view. 800-848-9222. Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. Yeah, Hi. Um, good morning. morning. Um, I remember years ago, I remember how long ago, there was this point about if somebody had three times uh, DUI, should their license indicate that, 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 I mean, the license plate in the car, so that other people should be wary of him or her? You know, I, um, and I'm thinking. Go ahead. Sorry. And I'm thinking, what the hell is he or she doing? still having a license to drive. Now, I understand your excitement and frustration about having children in the car. There are always children in other people's cars, eight-year-olds, two-year-olds, adults. It's potential murder. A car barreling down, uh, a truck, a car, uh, with nobody at the wheel, technically. It's like it's murder. 
why is somebody allowed to have three times? And if somebody was caught three times, you can multiply it by I don't know what, how many times they did it. And they didn't do it three times. They did it 500 times. So they got caught once. So I, I just don't get it. Why, why are potential murderers on the road? The nice people do it. I understand. So once, okay. Three times? Still you know, uh, Charles, all good points. I, 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 th- I think, and thank you for the call, I think that it is so much worse in my brain when you have helpless children in your own car than um, because it's just so egregious. Look, I, I think a lot of people have been in the position where they have one or two drinks and they think they're fine to drive. And they drive home, and they're not fine to drive, right? I've been in that position over the years. Um, When you have children in your car that are dependent upon you and no one else, that to me is a whole new ballgame, a whole new ballgame. As far as that suggestion that Charles made, I think that's actually a great idea. I know he was saying he was repeating something that he'd heard from somewhere else, but why should, if you've been caught and arrested for drinking and driving, why should it have to be three times before there's a uh, a warning on your license plate? What if you're arrested for drinking and driving once? Um, and I'm, look, I'm not trying to put somebody that's arrested three times or uh, in the same category as somebody that's arrested once because I think anybody can make a mistake once. To make a mistake three times, you're not making a mistake. You're a serial drunk driver and whose license you should never have should be gone for forever probably but even if you're arrested for drinking and driving once i think an appropriate penalty is a warning on the back of your license plate or somewhere on your vehicle indicating that you have a previous arrest for drinking and driving you know we make in society in a lot of different places there's megan's law and all sorts of other similarly named laws that if you're a sex offender and you move to a certain community, you have to notify a lot of the people in that community of your previous sex offender status. Now, even if you've gone to rehab and gotten over whatever issue you have, even if you've gone to prison and paid your debt to society, b- because the theory is that there's a chance you might do it again. I mean, I think that's certainly true of drunk drivers. I, I think that's a, a fine idea you're arrested for drinking and driving once and convicted, and that conviction is, is upheld. I think there should be something on your vehicle notifying other drivers of your history. I'm, I, you know, I realize maybe we don't want people walking around with a scarlet letter and having drivers beep at them and curse at them, but um, maybe that's something you think about before you get behind the wheel after you've had too many. 800-848-9222. I'm going to continue with your calls in just a moment. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. to accentuate the positive mind it to negative latch on to the affirmative don't mess with mr in between you got to spread joy up to the maximum bring gloom 
down to the minimum have faith or pandemonium liable to walk upon the scene to illustrate his last remark jonah in the whale noah in the ark what did they do just when everything looked so dark man they said we better accentuate the positive elim Find it negative, latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In Between. No, uh, the great Bing Crosby with, with the Andrews sisters singing Accentuate the Positive. If you uh, ever want to know what kind of bumper music we're playing on this show, just join our Facebook group. Uh, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. And uh, you will uh, be able to see what, uh, what songs that we play on this show on a daily basis. Or you can just go to Facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano and uh, join the Facebook group. And uh, it's really meant not only as a, a forum to allow you to know what songs we're playing on the show, but it's meant to be a forum that allows you to discuss the show. Stuff that you like about the show, stuff that you don't like about the show, feel free to make your comments felt in that Facebook group and engage with uh, with other listeners who uh, may be listeners of this show as well. And it's a nice little group. It's a nice little Facebook community that we have there. And I also want to encourage you to uh, follow me on Twitter, at Frank Morano, that's Frank M O R A N O. And you know, a lot of times people will ask me, uh, and I'm not joking, and I don't, I don't want to sound immodest here. They say something along the lines of, "Frank, you're the greatest overnight radio host in America." Frank, you're my favorite host. What can we do to help you? Well, unfortunately, for better or worse, the way that our society works now is that unless you have a broad social media following, you don't exist. You don't exist. So if you have a before and that applies to TV appearances, that applies to radio appearances, job opportunities, book deals, speaking opportunities. They always look at your social media following. And it doesn't matter even if you're a schlub. If you have a large social media following, you can always somehow resuscitate your career by doing a podcast that you charge people a dollar a month to listen to or some small amount. And if you have a broad enough following on social media, then uh, you can actually make a living. So, look, I hope never get fired from this job. I hope to have this job for the rest of my life, literally. But if I ever do get fired, then the best way that you can help me is by following me on social media so that I can make one of those those career comebacks. Uh, At Frank Morano on Twitter. And on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. So the best thing that you could do is to follow me on all forms of social media. You might not know it to listen to me, but you are listening to a man who about 15 hours ago got a haircut. That's right. Now, if you heard me, have you if you've heard me talk about my haircut situation before. You know that my barber, who, look, my barber's a nice guy, a great guy, and he's been a barber for a long time, I think 40 or 50 years. Probably not 50, at least 40 years. Nice guy. And I enjoy my conversations with him, a family man, he's got kids, he's got grandkids, lives in the neighborhood. I like him a lot. Charitable guy, nice guy, well-intentioned guy. I have to tell you, he, look, I hope he's not listening. He's, at best, an okay barber. Like, when I get my hair cut, 
the extent of the reaction that I get, I, I got this from Dominic Carter last night when I walked into our shared workspace, uh, is he says, oh, you got a haircut. That's it. That's all. All he says is, oh, you got a haircut. He was acknowledging that I had a haircut. He wasn't sitting there, and and I've gotten this reaction before in previous haircuts from other barbers. They'll say, oh, my goodness, you got a haircut. It looks great. Makes you look younger. Makes you look thinner. Where did you go for that? Do you put product in that? I got no reaction. Other than what I heard from Dominic Carter yesterday, this is the extent of the reaction I got from my other colleagues that observed me. Nothing. No reaction. Because it's an unspectacular haircut. And even as I was um, leaving my home yesterday morning to get a haircut, my wife had very little enthusiasm. And she'd been someone that was urging me to get a haircut for a long time because she recognized my hair was getting a little too long. She said to me, can you have them make it a little shorter? A lot of times you go and it's like you don't even have a haircut. But my barber, for whatever reason is very difficult to get an appointment with. Very difficult. I uh, I have to book pretty far in advance. And look, my hours are challenging, so <clears throat> it's tough to get. I have to go either in the late afternoon or in the early morning. And he was able to squeeze me in at 8.30 Eastern yesterday morning. My barber is always booked. I have to book him in advance. If you miss your window or if you're 15 minutes late, forget about it. It is easier, it's easier to get a table at Rayo's than it is to get an appointment with my barber. I don't know why. I don't know why. It's, um, it's easier to get an audience with the Pope that, than, than it is to get a meeting with my barber. In fact, you can not only get an audience with the Pope, but you can have the Pope apologize to you for whatever the Catholic Church has done to your ancestors before you can get a haircut appointment with my barber. So you're getting a sense of how you sort of have to work around his schedule. So that's what I did this morning, yesterday morning. Came home, spent some time with uh, with young Carmine. I had a lager. I did have a lager because even though I'm not much of a beer drinker, if you heard commendations on Monday, I'm making an effort to drink lager now because it adds bacterium to your stomach, which your stomach needs, apparently. So I forced myself to drink a lager, which I have to be honest, when it was this hot, felt pretty good. So then it's around 8.30. I go off to my barbershop, which is fortunately right in the neighborhood, right around the corner. I get my hair cut, and I give a hefty tip, by the way. And I'm always hoping that this tip will buy me greater flexibility in making an appointment. It never does, but I, I, I give a hefty tip. And then I go home, make a little more small talk with my wife. I'm home around 9 o'clock, 10, 10 after 9, quarter after 9. I'm ready to go to bed. And I'm assuming that I'm going to wake up around 1.30, 2 o'clock, 2.30. I'll get the pat on the shoulder from my wife, who's usually holding my son, that it's time for me to look after him so that she can work. And so around... I don't know, 11 o'clock, I hear some noise downstairs. I wake up briefly, and I guess there's a a handyman that was visiting the house to deal with some of the issues that we have in our house. And I see, now I'm thinking, I'm still tired, and I'm thinking, all right, uh, I'm tired, but I have to get up now. I look at the clock, it's only 11 o'clock. And then, that's a great feeling. That ever happened to you when you wake up 
and you realize you still have many more hours to sleep, that is a great feeling. So I look at the clock. I said, all right, let me go back to sleep. I go back to sleep, expecting I'm going to be woken up or wake up on my own around 2, 2.30. I took, before I went to sleep, something I never do, I took a melatonin because I, I knew I was going to have to try and sleep through this handyman visiting. So I take a melatonin. I had had that lager before my haircut. Wouldn't you know it? The next thing, I wake up on my own. No alarm. No wife tapping me to take care of our child. Nothing. And I have no idea what time it is. When I wake up, we have blackout curtains in our bedroom. It's almost like it could be any time. It could be any day of the week. I am perpetually surprised at what time it is and what day of the week it is. And my eyes are always a little dry when I wake up. So rather than look to my wife's side of the bed and see her clock radio, I yell to our favorite piece of artificial intelligence, which is spying on me all the time, and I'm sure just plotting and waiting for the day that uh, she can murder me before I enslave her, Alexa. So I say, Alexa, what time is it? Lo and behold, I am blown away when she tells me it's 5.15 p.m. I slept from 10 after 9 or 9.15 to 5.15 p.m. Eight hours, basically. Wow. I don't know the last time that I've slept eight hours during the week or on the weekend ever. I mean, I don't know. I must have been drugged at some point. But lo and behold, the combination of that melatonin and that lager 30 minutes before the relief that I had from all this excess weight that I was no longer carrying on my scalp and the fact that my wife and my son never came to wake me up, it all played out to a very, very restful sleep. So it's sort of the best of times and the worst of times when you sleep until that late because I'm now two hours behind in everything that I have to do for the show. So I'm sprinting out of bed to do a mad dash to start the ball rolling on show prep. And I have to look after my son because my wife had to go out and run some errands. But I'm also still so rested. So on the one hand, I'm feeling great. But on the other hand, I'm feeling pretty guilty about sleeping that late. So what will happen tomorrow? What will that do to my sleep schedule for the rest of the week? Only the shadow knows. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Tony is in Florida. Hello, Tony. Good morning, Frank. Morning. I wanted to make a comment about the woman that was drunk driver. Um, And then then she has the gall to boast about what a great mom she is. The reason is because people in general nowadays, they have no shame. None. They've been told all their lives how special they are, and they've got trophies for every little thing they fail to do. And and everybody tells them how great they are and how awful it was that they were picking on her. And she has no shame. She thinks she's a great mom. And she's also lacking in class. Nobody has class anymore. Well, yeah, I, I agree with everything that you said, Tony. And, um, I agree with you about the sticker on the car. Like, you know, I'm a student driver. <laughs> I'm a drunk driver. 
I think that'd be a great idea. Well, exactly. And I think for the same reason, because if you see somebody that has a um, a sticker that says uh, this is a student driver, what do you do? You keep, at least what I do is I keep my distance because you don't yeah. know. They're, they're not experienced. You know, they may make a mistake. And the same thing if somebody has a thing that says, I have a drunk driving conviction. What would you do? You'd keep your distance. You'd evade that car. If you see somebody with that sticker is in front of you, maybe you go into another lane uh, or something like that. I don't understand why that uh, that's not already the case. You know, and um, I really think, and, and again, I'm not somebody that is in favor of draconian punishment and law enforcement. I'm not. I, I like to think I'm a pretty open-minded guy. But, I mean, We've seen before that if you're a drunk driver, chances are pretty good you're going to do that more than once. Again, that's happened with drunk drivers that I've known. 800-848-9222. Brett is on Staten Island. Hello, Brett. Hey, Frank. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. Um, first, I want to ask about your haircut. If you aren't so satisfied with the job that the barber is doing, why don't you switch barbers? A couple of things. Couple of re- Excellent question, Brett. One... There is so much to be said for convenience. This barber shop is walking distance from my house. That's number one. Number two, I do put a, a something of a premium on loyalty. And um, the guy is such a nice guy. So I don't mind giving him my $15 tip and things like that. And three, I I stopped going to a barber shop that I was going to for a long time when I started going to this guy because uh, for a variety of reasons, including the fact that uh, that other barbershop was near where I worked previously and I don't work down there anymore. So I don't really want to go to the trouble of finding another barber. And this fella, you're right about that. He, he he did cut my hair when he was not supposed to during the covid lockdown. So I appreciated the fact that he was willing to break the law, essentially, to give me a haircut. And I said to myself, you know, this guy was good to me. I'm going to stick with him after, um, you know, after uh, after things are back to normal. And I can't stress enough, Brett, what a nice guy he is. He's always asking after my son. And he said to me, you know, when your son is ready for his first haircut, if you bring him in, it'll be on the house. So he is such a nice guy. I can't stress that enough. And again, it's not a bad haircut. It's just an average haircut. It's just a, a haircut no. that you go and you say, oh, oh, Frank got a haircut. Uh, nobody's wowed. Like, nobody is photographing me and saying, I have to show a picture of you to my uh, to my husband so that he could see what a good haircut looks like. Nobody's saying anything like that. I get that. And actually, I'm also stuck in such a in a similar position where I have to go to the same barber that usually does a good job, but sometimes he could mess up and there are two reasons for that. One is that you said what you said, it's very hard to find good barber. And the second reason is that I, I, I've been going there for the last four years and with inflation the prices have been going up. But because I'm a you know, uh, I'm there constantly and that's where he knows he knows me already so he doesn't go up the price for me so i'm kind of stuck over there if i go somewhere else it's going to cost me you know uh, at least a third more of the price than what he charges me but i was calling about this a drunk driving situation and this woman i don't understand why this woman has any fans but she does because she's a celebrity and i think that what she's doing is is really reckless because some of these fans are now going to think that it's cool to drive drunk and not take responsibility for it. 
And it was also Pelosi's husband who drove drunk, and he wasn't held accountable for it. And that sets a bad standard. These guys in, in power, they're writing laws, and they're not abiding by their own set of rules that well, they're making. Well, when you say uh, that uh, Paul Pelosi wasn't held accountable for it, what was the what was the ultimate result of his case? Has that case been adjudicated the charges, yet? The charges were dropped like three days after the story started. Really? Okay. See, I, I did not, I didn't know that the charges were dropped. That's uh, yes. that is, uh, that is interesting. What was well, they, the, they weren't covering it. They didn't. Want yeah, to no, it. I mean, I tell you, I read the paper every day and, um, and the fact that I didn't know the charges were dropped tells you how little coverage there astounding. was. Yeah, yeah, that is uh, quite interesting. I did not know that. Um, oh, so I'm just saying, I'm seeing here, that the Napa County District Attorney's Office said that the DUI charges against Paul Pelosi were not dropped. So that, I think, was one of these Internet rumors that took on a life of its own. But these charges against Paul Pelosi are are still pending. So, you know, and call back when the charges are dropped. But, yeah, he's um, he's going to be in court on August 3rd, Napa County Superior Court. So the Paul Pelosi charges were not dropped. There you have it. Uh, by the way, speaking of charges, <clears throat> I had... The same barber for, I think, at least 13 years, 13 or 14 years. And he ultimately, he got, he got arrested. And when I told that to my dad, he, um, my dad said, well, what did he get arrested for? Scalping? You're awful funny, aren't you? <laughs> I thought that was a good one, actually. You can see where I, I get my singular wit from. But um, he got arrested. I think he he was for a drug-related charge. Then he came out. Uh, I don't think he ended up going to prison. I think he had Hope Solo's lawyer. And, I mean, this is a different situation. He wasn't driving or anything like that. But uh, the, he didn't end up going to prison. And then he resumed getting uh, doing my hair. And then I went to him. I followed him at like three or four different barbershops. He would work for people. He would open his own place. And then he just disappeared. I don't know what happened to him. So ultimately then I had to find another barbershop. And then for about three or four years, I was going to this place where I used to work. Great place. Old-fashioned barbershop downtown. Uh, Russian. Russian-owned. Great guys. And uh, good, decent price. They do a hot shave as well. But then it was just, it was just too much because since I wasn't working down there, I'd have to, one, stay late after doing the show until they opened. And I'd have to take a, make a special trip downtown. And I can tell you – I'm, not, I'm in no mood to do either of those things. So ultimately, I found this other guy during the pandemic, nice guy, and I was seeing both of them for a while. And then I had to let uh, the folks at the other barbershop know that, you know, it's not you, it's me. So we went our, our separate ways. 800-848-9222. Joe is in Newburgh. Hello, Joe. Hi. Hi. You got Joseph? Uh, do I have Joseph? Yes, you do. It's <laughs> Joseph, not Joe. Ah, well, uh, talk evening. to Kenny. Thanks for taking my call. You know, when I call Curtis, I'm on hold for four and a half hours, and I uh, four hours and 23 minutes the other night. He doesn't take my calls well, anymore. He, I don't did, know he did the same thing to me. So this Avery character that is the telephone talent coordinator <laughs> for Curtis's show, 
He has his whole hierarchy of who he chooses to put through and who he chooses not to put through. And I have... I don't think it's Avery. I think it's Curtis. Well, it could be. It could be. Uh, Because I've confronted Avery about this. And I said, look, why did you keep me on hold for three hours while I was, uh, you know, on hold? Uh, You know, I I, and and, and Joe. I was on hold three hours. Well, I know. But, Joe, I mean, I don't know why they put you on hold. But in my case, you know, I had material that I had prepared to go on with Curtis. Right. I mean, and it was going to be funny stuff. It was going to be substantive stuff. It was going to be stuff that I knew Curtis was going to like. And then I confronted Avery about this. And uh, Avery said, well, come on. Do you think that's really me? You think anybody tells Curtis who to go to? So I think you might be right. Maybe it is a Curtis situation. I'm like the big dog, well, the German shepherd. I call the business office during the day uh, twice over the past two months. And I've left messages for Curtis. I've actually invited to come to Newburgh because... He said one night, oh, man, you got a problem up Newburgh. We got, I got to think about how we're going to handle it. I'm still waiting to hear how he's going to handle it. He has not called me back. I've left office uh, uh, conversations twice on the uh, voicemail, and nobody's had the courtesy to call me back. Now, here's the deal. I've invited him to come up here. Uh, the town of Newburgh police will take care of him. I got a limo company that will go down and pick him and Nancy up, and they can bring cats if they want, some of the cats. I got a place for him to stay, a great big window. I got a bird feeder outside the window. He can broadcast for them from there. I've been uh, talked to Vasilios down at uh, the edge of Newburgh, uh, between the Newburgh and the town, and they are going to accommodate us with dinners. Billy Joel's down on the riverfront said they would accommodate. Joe, I mean, as fascinating as this Curtis hypothetical itinerary to Newburgh is, I do have to break in a moment. Did you have anything to say regarding any of the subjects we're talking about? Yes. I I, uh, walked up to the corner of my road. My road is exactly one mile long. There's a corner store at one end and a stop sign at the other. I pick up beer cans, 30 beer cans today at the stop sign. When I become town supervisor, I'm going to put a camera there and catch these people that are drinking. I don't think the public is aware how many people are drinking beers while they're driving. They buy it at the corner store uh, one mile, uh, and they throw them out at the stop sign. Uh, uh, that's scary. Have you gotten you any indication? Have you gotten any- I pick up every month at that stop sign. Uh, I went- when I'm a supervisor at the town of Newburgh, I'm going to put a camera there and catch these people because they're going to kill somebody. Joseph, have you gotten any indication from law enforcement as to why they're not enforcing these people that are drinking beers while driving? This is why I'm going to run for supervisor. We used to have 32 cops in the town of Newburgh. Uh, The new, the current supervisor, I think he's been a supervisor for eight or nine years. We only got 19 cops. I see. I see. So it's a reflection of fewer police officers. Interesting, Joseph. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Do me a favor. Get Joseph's number and give it to Alex so that when Alex, Chris and the Catskills, and Carol in New Jersey have their meetings where they all just talk about whatever they want to talk about, that that Joseph from Newburgh can be invited. And maybe, like, they can all take turns hosting. One week it's in Newburgh. One week it's in Manhattan. One week it's in New Jersey. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I am a uh, big fan of the game show Jeopardy. I was once asked that if I, in an interview, that if I wasn't doing this job, what other job would I enjoy? Or if I wasn't doing either this or something in politics, what other job would I enjoy? And I said, absolutely, the host of Jeopardy. And that's a great job, and I'd absolutely love it. So since Alex Trebek passed away, there was a big battle over who should become the new host of Jeopardy. And my vote was for LeVar Burton. I thought he would have been a great host. I still think he would be a a great host. And they tried out a whole bunch of other people. They tried out Katie Couric and George Stephanopoulos and Aaron Rodgers and Dr. Oz and a bunch of people. Some did really well. Some did not so well. And ultimately, they picked – it was such a rigged situation – they picked the producer of Jeopardy. I mean, it was very much like when Dick Cheney was in charge of picking a running mate for George W. Bush. Shockingly, who did Dick Cheney come up with? He came up with himself. Imagine that. I mean, well, what are the chances? So the guy that was playing a role in selecting the host of Jeopardy selected himself. Now, he was the, announced as the permanent host almost immediately he was canceled because he made some jokes 10 years ago on a podcast that people found inopportune. So they said, well, we can't have that guy. He cheated and made himself the host. And besides that, he was on some dopey podcast, which no one listened to 10 years ago. And he made a fat joke or something. We got to get rid of that guy. So they got rid of him. I don't even remember the guy's name now. Uh, actually, might have been his name might have been Michael Richards. Uh, whatever. It's not important. His name is not important. Was his name Michael Richards? Jeez. See, sometimes I astound myself with my memory. Amazing. So since then, since that whole kerfuffle, they have been having uh, Ken Jennings, who was a longtime Jeopardy! champion, and Mayim Bialik, who was Blossom, splitting the hosting uh, duties. And uh, Ken Jennings, I think, I think actually, I have to say, I think they're both doing a very good job. Ken Jennings um, is somebody that I did not think was going to do well, but I think he's really grown into the role. What a lovely gesture that was from Jean. You know, at a time that was very hard for her family, dealing with a lot of grief and a lot of challenges, she thought about Jeopardy and she thought about me, a person she had never even met. And I just thought, what a lovely thing to do. She's fantastic. uh, Alex Trebek's wife gave Ken Jennings some uh, cufflinks. And uh, Mayim Bialik does a great job. Sabbath for 400. Exodus 35.3 bans doing this on the Sabbath, hence the Jewish dish cholent, which can go on the stove Friday and cook until Saturday lunch. Jonathan. What is cooking? No. Mary. What is work? No. (sighs) What is lighting a fire? So they're both different styles, both great, and it's just been reported by Variety that Jeopardy's finally made a decision. They are both going to be continuing to host. How do you like that? Your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. 
couple of things here. You might have heard that uh, President Trump made his uh, comeback speech yesterday. He returned to Washington, D.C. and gave this big speech at 3 p.m. at the America First Agenda Summit. Now, the America First Agenda is a group that is supposed to be implementing President Trump's – it's supposed to be President Trump's think tank. That's what it's supposed to be. And they're, they've been bragging that they are the shadow cabinet for the next Trump administration, the America First Policy Institute. That's where they call it. Now, uh, th- this is a, a little bit of uh, the, uh, the speech that President Trump gave yesterday afternoon before the America First Policy Summit. Because of the radical Democrats and because of what they've done, driving record numbers of officers to resign, retire or quit. The police work all together. The new Congress should immediately pass emergency funding to hire and retain tens of thousands more police officers all across our country. I think that what you saw that um, in this speech yesterday is basically a preview of what we're going to see the major themes being for the next Trump campaign. Uh, so we'll see. But that um, very tough on immigration, very tough on crime, very tough on inflation. That was basically the overall theme in this speech. But it's interesting. There is. And by the way, you know who else was giving a speech in D.C.? Not to the same group. Mike Pence, Trump's likely opponent for the Republican presidential nomination in 2024. But there was some drama over Trump's choice of this as a venue. Now, just so you understand my perspective, and I, I don't like to uh, talk about this that often because anything involving Trump immediately becomes polarizing. Heaven forbid you say something nice about Trump. The Trump haters pounce on you, say, I can't believe you would say something nice about Trump. Oh, my goodness. They ought to stone you after they throw Trump in jail. Then you say something critical about Trump and all the hardcore Trump partisans say, I can't believe you would dare question the gospel of Donald Trump, the the, the apostle of Trumpism. You can't say anything critical of Trump. They should excommunicate you and send you back to Mexico and build a giant wall at the Mexican border so that you can't get back into the country. So I don't like discussing anything regarding Trump these days for that reason. You can't have a rational discussion. That being said, I am going to give it the old college try and try to have a rational discussion. I mean, again, maybe this is a fool's errand in trying to have a rational discussion about the most polarizing topic in America, but whatever. Fortune favors the bold, and last time I bet boldly at the Baccarat table, I was rewarded handsomely, so we'll try the same thing here. Now, I was a Trump supporter, very enthusiastically. I've been a Trump supporter since uh, 2000. That's how I got to know Roger Stone. Uh, Roger was, I was involved in the Reform Party at the time, And Trump was running for president seeking the Reform Party nomination. And Roger was the head of the draft Trump for president committee. And that's how Roger and I got to know one another. And then Trump ultimately bowed out of that Reform Party nomination. But I had been hoping that Trump would run for president again since 1999. And there was no greater cheerleader of his 2016 campaign than me. And then uh, forget about when he won in 2016, I felt like 
I was over the moon. I felt like I had won the lotto, right? I felt this was going to be exactly the kind of change that the country needed. And then, sure enough, Trump assembles this leadership team and this cabinet that is straight out of a Hillary Clinton or Jeb Bush administration. I said, wait a minute, excuse me. Except for Jeff Sessions, everybody that's in this administration is not a Trump person. Everyone that's in this administration is basically a Jeb Bush establishment Republican or a corporatist-style Democrat that would easily be at home in a Hillary Clinton or a Jeb Bush administration, person after person. And at least for the first two years, certainly, of his administration, this was a Trump administration without any Trump people in it. And I think that was reflected in the job that the Trump administration did governing. So there were a couple of stars in the Trump administration, as far as I'm concerned. And one of them was Peter Navarro. Now, Peter Navarro has been a friend of mine. He's been a guest on this show. Peter Navarro has been a friend of mine for seven years. I've interviewed him more times than I could count. I've read both of his books. I think he's a brilliant economist, as evidenced by the fact that he has a Ph.D. in economics from Harvard. And I think he really was a hero in terms of his trade policy for the country. And I still, I keep in touch with Peter. I love Peter. And I was glad that Peter Navarro was there. And it was very interesting to me that Navarro came out yesterday, two days ago, the day before Trump gave this speech, and publicly asked Trump not to go forward with the event because he believes that the America First Policy Institute, which hosted this summit, is insufficiently devoted to Trumpism, or at least what Navarro believes, and what, quite frankly, I believed, Trumpism to be. So he wrote this piece uh, for the outlet American Greatness. The piece is headlined, Trump's Think Tank Prepares to Betray Him. And I link to it on my Facebook page. You could read it, facebook.com slash Moranofan. And Navarro basically writes, don't go, boss. That's my strong advice to President Trump as he prepares to deliver a speech in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday at his alleged think tank, the America First Policy Institute. And this is all what I'm everything that I'm about to read is from this Navarro speech, uh, Navarro column, which you could read for yourself. Yes, it is important for President Trump to have a well-credentialed stable of policy experts capable of both building a 2024 platform and finding solid MAGA talent to populate a new Trump administration. But the AFPI, Trojan horse, whose leadership is now bragging about how it will staff Trump's shadow cabinet, is decidedly not that. Most comically, the AFPI roster features the author of a poison pen White House memoir who sued the president, Cliff Sims, a communist China-trained accountant, Gay Bai, or G. Bai, who criticized the president for ineffective drug price policies, a former cabinet secretary, Rick Perry, who almost got Trump impeached, a former top advisor to Dick Endless War Cheney, Steve Yates, and John Book Deal Bolton's former chief of staff, Fred Flights. What could go wrong here? And I'm reading this, and I said, oh, my goodness, here we go again. Donald Trump is going to get elected again, 
And he's going to do the same thing that he did in 2016. He's going to staff his administration with a bunch of Washington retreads, uh, Trump administration rejects, and people that are going to continue the Bush and Clinton era, the, the Bush and Clinton policies that I voted for Trump to get away from. And, I, and I'm thinking, as I'm reading this Navarro speech, is it shame on me if I get fooled again, if I end up voting for Trump? It, it must be. So I'm reading this book. I mean, I'm reading this column. And Navarro writes, most per- perniciously, the AFPI economics team is peppered with free trade ideologues on record opposing Trump's tariffs. The most important and transformational, comp- transformational component of Trump's Make America Great Again movement. The most famous offender here is Trump's former National Economic Council director, Larry Kudlow, who's now vice chairman of the um, of the uh, members of the House January, uh, 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 who's now vice chairman of this group. Now, uh, Larry is a friend of mine and a colleague at our flagship station, but Navarro is right, and Navarro's friendly with Larry too, but Navarro is right. When it comes to trade, when it comes to immigration, Larry is not where Trump is. You know, he and Stephen Moore, who's also a colleague, they use some Trumpian rhetoric, but when it comes to immigration and tariffs, they're not at all where Trump is. And Larry would be the first to tell you that. And I've interviewed Larry about this, and I've talked to him privately about this. So Navarro's right here. And so I'm curious, what do you think about this? Do you think Trump made the right decision? If you're a Trump supporter, let me start with that. If you're a Trump supporter, either you're still a Trump supporter or you were in 2016 or 2020. If you're a Trump supporter, do you think Trump made the right decision to give this speech yesterday to this group, which in the words of Peter Navarro, and I find Navarro's column pretty convincing here, in the words of Peter Navarro, is stacked with a group of people who ideologically differ from Trump on everything. Because i got to tell you, this column has me terrified. That if that we're going to be in store for another uh, exactly what we saw in the last Trump administration, which is a group of people that are installed, people like John Bolton, General Mattis, uh, you know, Stephen Cohn, a group of people that has no interest in implementing this kind of America first agenda. They want to use the name and they want to use the fact that Trump has popularized this agenda in order to push their standard neocon policies. So I'm curious what you think if he um, if he did the right thing by giving the speech. 800-848-9222. Here's a little bit more of uh, President Trump at the American First Policy Institute yesterday. Week, a man tried to stab a sitting member of Congress running for governor of New York, Lee Zeldin, good man, good person. And under the New York State policies, the attacker was released within hours on cashless bail. Now, as I understand it, there's actually more to it than than meets the eye here, because Zeldin has been blaming cashless bail. But the D.A.'s office, and by the way, this D.A. in that county, in Monroe County, was a former co-chair of Zeldin's campaign, Sandra Durley. But um, her office... They made the decision not to charge this attacker with a bail-eligible offense. They could have. 
they could have. Uh, but um, it's very interesting. You have Zeldin running around the state blaming Alvin Bragg for everything that's wrong with crime, but he's not blaming this DA in Monroe County. Why is that? Well, because this is a political ally of his who's supporting him for governor. And that, I mean, that's a pretty Zeldin-esque thing to do. I mean, I think, and I, I'll probably end up voting for Lee Zeldin, but you have a situation where if you're committed to principles, you got to be committed to principles. You should say, you know, I know this office is headed by somebody that's supporting me. I have a lot of respect for the DA there, but they should have charged him with a DA with a bail eligible offense. Now, it turned out he's charged with a federal crime now and uh, he's getting bail that way. They're able to keep him until he meets bail that way. So it turns out not to be the biggest deal in the world. But if you're going to go all over TV, all over radio saying um, bail reform, bail reform. Well, look, nothing stopped this DA's office from charging him with a more serious crime. The DA's office chose not to, but that's neither here nor there. 800-848-9222. Here was uh, President Trump talking about protecting America's children. A society that soon will not be able to protect anybody. This is a hallmark of cultural and social decay against which we should fight back very hard and very soon. We don't have time to wait years to do this. The sickos who are pushing sexual content in kindergartens or providing puberty blockers to young children who have no idea what a puberty blocker is are not just engaged in acts of depravity. In many cases, they are breaking the law and they should be held fully accountable. Now, also on the Trump front, we have heard for much of the past year from the January 6th committee and others that former President Trump and his allies are endangering American democracy by attacking the legitimacy of the 2020 election. And I have to be honest, I agree with that. I think um, what President Trump has done in terms of continuing to call into question the outcome of this 2020 election is not only inaccurate, I think it's very damaging to the country. And I think all the people that are out there still doing that same thing, including people that are friends of mine, I think that's all very, very, that sows the seeds of division in this country. So we've heard that from a lot of people, including people on the January 6th committee, but we've heard it from a lot of the Democratic members of Congress. So we're seeing these folks people that are election deniers winning the Republican primary in congressional race after congressional race, Senate race after Senate race, gubernatorial race after gubernatorial race. Do you want to know why all these election deniers are doing so well running in Republican primaries all over the country? Do you know who's providing them with literally millions of dollars in, of funding in Maryland, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in Arizona, in Missouri, and I'm sure in other states as well. You know who's funding them? The Democrats. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is all public record. What you are seeing all over the country is the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee and other similar entities funding the campaigns of election deniers that are running in Republican primaries. 
I have to tell you, I recognize that politics ain't beanbag, to use the the old phrase. I recognize that you wanna you wanna secure the best possible political environment for your campaign. And that's what the Democrats think they're doing here by funding some of these off-the-wall election deniers in primaries that are running. They're hoping it creates an easier general election matchup. Now, in some cases it will, but in my view, this is absolutely outrageous. The fact that the Democrats, on the one hand, are saying Donald Trump is the biggest threat to democracy in the world, on the one hand, they're saying that, and then on the other hand, they're saying, oh, but everybody that subscribes to this so-called big lie, we're going to give them millions of dollars of funding so that they win their Republican primary. To me, this smacks of hypocrisy. I've always said that I want, as an independent, what I want is the best Republican candidates that there can be and the best Democratic candidates there can be. Now, I wouldn't want that if I was running against one of these people, so I understand the strategy here. But to me, this takes the wind out of the sails of their argument completely. This completely undercuts their argument. You can't say they're destroying democracy and then fund their campaigns. It's 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 idiotic in my view, and it it is totally disingenuous. And I think it says that a lot of the rhetoric that we've been seeing from the congressional Democrats is more about politics than it is anything substantive. Uh, one of the people that I think made that a point that point quite well was uh, Congressman Adam Kinzinger, a Republican who voted to impeach. Um, by the way, they did this even with people that voted to impeach Trump. You had people that were that voted to impeach Trump. They voted with the Democrats and then they were opposed by the Democrats in the Republican primary. How's that? I mean, for voting your conscience, not your party. But Adam Kinzinger, who's a registered Republican, but he's an anti-Trump Republican from Illinois. He's on this January 6th committee. He has been very, very vocal in decrying election denial, and he was on CNN the other day. This is what he said. I think it's disgusting because, look, yeah, you think you may have an easier time at winning. I'm going to tell you, after January, there are going to be a few of these people. Look at Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania. I mean, look at Darren Bailey in Illinois, an election denier. Uh, Governor Pritzker spent tens of millions of dollars so that he would win. By the way, yeah, Pritzker has a little bit of an advantage right now. In a good Republican year, Bailey may win. And it's, it's, you see this in Peter Meyer in Michigan. You're going to have election deniers win. So while I think a certain number of Democrats truly understand that democracy is threatened, don't come to me after having spent money supporting an election denier in a primary and then come to me and say, You're, where are all the good Republicans? You're worried about democracy. I truly believe that all these issues we argue about, they matter. But the thing that matters the most right now is the threat to our democracy. It's the thing our kids will judge us by. And when we're sitting here playing DCCC, you know, DNC politics, let's promote the, the crazy, and then that person wins, you don't understand the real threat. I'm sorry, you don't understand the threat to democracy. Whatever you think of Kinzinger, Kinzinger is absolutely right there. Uh, this is blatant hypocrisy on the part of the DCCC and other similar entities. You can't say this is the worst thing ever and then fund the people that believe this. And that's exactly what the Democrats are doing. To me, it completely undercuts their argument. 800-848-9222. Eddie is in Ocean County. Hello, Eddie. 
Hi, Frank. Thanks for talking about this topic. Um, I was one of the, I was like the biggest Trump supporter when he was president, like I'm like crazy to the moon. And I'm, I don't like say like, oh, now I'm embarrassed and like now I'm enlightened. I just, what he's been doing the past year and a half, he's been stupid. He's, he's acting stupid. So I don't, I wouldn't vote for him again. I mean, in the Republican primary, I wouldn't. I would vote for him against the Democrat. But I saw the story in Axios that he's, that he plans in the second term to, to put in, a lot of new people and, and kick out a lot of the bureaucrats in like the FBI and DOJ. So this goes to what you were talking about, about uh, him putting in this cabinet of the same old old school Republicans and Democrats that were there in the Bush years. I was just wondering how that works with the story in Axios that he plans on really draining the swamp this time around. Well, again, I thank you, Eddie. I think it, it all depends on what your definition of uh, a swamp creature is, right? So I don't know. I don't know. I think that is what Trump is telling people and what he'd like to do. But it's all a question of who gets to make those decisions. Who gets to make those decisions, right? I mean, um, if he surrounds himself with the kind of crew that he had last time around, then those are going to be the people that determine what a swamp creature is. A friend of mine it was a Republican congressional staffer, big, big Trump person, huge Trump person, even when all his colleagues on the Hill were not. And he was really hoping to get a job in the Trump administration. And what he said to me at the time was the worst thing that you could be in order to get a job in the Trump administration is a Trump person. There are no Trump people working in staff levels in the Trump administration. And I think that's true because the people that were making these decisions were folks like Reince Priebus, folks like John Bolton. Uh, There were folks that were, you know, that were very establishment people. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Some cheap sunglasses. of midnight i'm frank morano if you want to be heard on anything we're talking about you're welcome to give me a call 1-800-848-9222 that's uh, 1-800-848-9222 um i do want to talk a little bit about um the um oh you know actually i I was not going to even start talking about this i had something else planned um, last segment, but I ended up going on a, a riff. So we'll we'll delve into what I was going to talk about in a mere moment. But a lot of people eager to comment on this. So uh, let me get to you. 
9222. Uh, let me, I'm going to go to folks in the order in which they were holding. Uh, Leo on the Upper West Side. Hello, Leo. Hey, hi, Frank. Good morning. I just wanted to say that you're a little bit too hard on Zeldin because I I have that keychain in my hand, and this is really defensive weapon which can be used as, as, as offensive. And he was very close. If the guy would swing, the drunk guy would swing his hand and cut it through his throat, he would just, able with this weapon, with one swing, cut through his aorta and through Yeah, his no, I, I'm not disputing that. His behavior that's, why, that's why he should have been charged with a, with a greater crime at the state level. Yes, but, but you know, if you almost are losing your life, uh, you swinging left and right with your elbows and not right, not right. Taking... But Leo, I don't dispute and any is, of that. And is it true this bar is behind Leo, all Leo, this, Leo, uh, so, Leo, 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 slow down, slow down, Leo. Okay, okay. So, I'm not disputing any of that. Uh, all I'm saying is that the DA's office in Monroe County should have charged this person that this attacker with a greater offense, a bail eligible offense. And uh, I think it's a little disingenuous for Lee Zeldin to go all around the state saying Alvin Bragg is so terrible when Alvin Bragg had nothing to do with this case in Monroe County. It was the Monroe County DA. So why isn't he criticizing that office? Frank, I tell you what Barr has to do with this. Barr is in general above all these losing of the of the all the criminals have the feeling we can do anything and nothing's gonna happen between Kuku with the reverse uh, no bail and between Barr with his statement on beginning of his uh, of his term all the criminals feeling oh we are untouchable we get few hours later walk no problem that's what is the bark for. All right. Thank you very much uh, there, Leo. 800-848-9222. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Yeah, I want to comment on that uh, uh, Democratic strategy. First of all, this is just another example of the Democrats doing something very uh, demon-like and nefarious. It's not going to work out. And the reason it's not going to work out for them is because we have a, we have a phrase – and our liturgy and our country's liturgy is called from every mountainside, let freedom ring. There's a, there's a talk show host on ABC that has that song. I forgot. I think it may be Mark Levin. I'm not sure. But uh, at, at the beginning. But let freedom ring means that these candidates are going to shine like 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 beautiful black uh, leather when when the election comes around. And you know what? The truth that they stand for will ring like freedom. People will see, if they don't know already that this election was stolen, they'll see it through the truths of these candidates. And they, by endorsing these candidates, they will ultimately come to endorse the truth that, in fact, this election was stolen. Nobody's going to vote for a guy folded up in a suitcase. He was a basket case the day they wheeled him out. For heaven's sake. All right. Thank you, Larry. 800-848-9222. Norman is in Brooklyn. Hello, Norman. Hey, Frank. Um, I'm I'm just curious, who would you have Trump surround himself with uh, to have a successful administration? Oh, uh, that's a great question. Um, I think uh, so. um, Secretary of Defense, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Number one, most important, uh, most important pick, Secretary of Defense, Douglas McGregor. 
Secretary of State Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, National Security Advisor Colonel Daniel Davis. Secretary Mm. of uh, Treasury would be former Assistant Secretary of Treasury and a tax professor at Columbia by the name of Michael Graetz. The uh, chief economist, basically the... Uh, the Gary Cohn, Larry Kudlow role, or Steve, uh, would, or Steve um, no, the Gary Cohn, Larry Kudlow role would be uh, Maya McGinnis of the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. Secretary of Commerce, my guy, Peter Navarro. Secretary of Health and Human Services, Betsy McCoy. Secretary of Labor, I would actually pick a, a Democrat here, uh, either Tim Ryan or Sherrod Brown of Ohio. Uh as far as um I don't know who I'd pick for chief of staff uh because that's a that's a tough role uh, when you got to wrangle this bureaucracy bureaucracy. I don't know who I'd pick at, at uh as secretary of energy, uh secretary of um of uh, veteran affairs. I think uh a very good pick there was um, former uh, senator from uh, Massachusetts, uh, Scott Brown. I think he would do, uh, fit that role well. And that's kind of where I'd start with that group. Wow. Other than Navarro, McCoy, and Brown, I don't know any of those people. So, Frank, you... you uh... Well, so uh, you know Douglas McGregor, obviously, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you impressed me, Frank. Oh, well, uh, you, uh, i got to do some more research on these people. Yeah, well, thank you. And, um, you know, again, I don't pretend to have all the answers. Some people may not want to serve, right? But uh, I think most people, when they're called to serve in a cabinet-level position, they're going to serve there, right? I, I think that's uh, I think that's only uh, – I think that's par for the course. And, um, you know, I have a lot of other thoughts as well in terms of in terms of people that would be a good fit. 800-848-9222. Robert is in New Jersey. Hello, Robert. Good morning, Frank. Morning. Uh, I think that Trump never going to win again because the swamp doesn't like him. He surprised us when he beat the Hillary. He never supposed to win that. And when he ran for the reelection, they changed all the laws, Democrats and Republicans. They, they in cahoots, how you say, and... They're going to make sure you're never going never gonna to win again. Thank you. The anti-swamper. Thank you, Robert. 800-848-9222. Christine is in the East Village. Hello, Christine. Hi. Thank you. Uh, you heard what you said about Bolton. And I certainly have no love for the neocons, but I do remember that Bolton ferociously opposed the United Nations, which is the, the center of globalization, which is what we don't want. And this was established by Rockefeller on Rockefeller land with Rockefeller money. They just had the Prince of Britain bad-mouthing our Constitution there the other day. I don't know who paid him to do that. And another person that Trump wanted in his inner circle, which I would support, would be Sarah Palin. Because I remember Zeke Emanuel saying things like seniors deserve health care based on their lifespan and their usefulness to society, which is Nazi rhetoric that came out of the Obama administration. And I was very much for Sarah Palin. But when I called his campaign office, some woman said, no, no, we don't want Sarah Palin. I said, I'm the voter. And I want Sarah Palin. So there is a lot of finagling going on. They are terrified of Trump. And they'll do anything they can to keep him out because he's a threat to their power structure. Well, Christine, I would just add uh, that uh, you may agree with John Bolton on his criticism of the United Nations. But in my view, that doesn't justify either uh, Bolton's ideology when it comes to going to war with every country on the face of the earth, nor 
his character. I mean, I, I don't want to get into a whole bashing of Bolton discussion because, you know, he's I don't, I don't, I don't want to lend more credence to John Bolton. But if you're John Bolton, OK, you know that you disagree with Trump's worldview when it comes to defense. So why take the job as national security advisor? OK, you take the job. You take the job and then rather than follow Trump's instructions, you do whatever you can to subvert the Trump agenda. All the while writing down everything that you disagree with, all about everything that Trump ever did that you found lacking in some area. And then finally you either get fired or you quit. And then... You think Trump is the worst thing in the world, so what do you decide to do? He's a threat to America, should not be allowed to continue as president. You're not even going to vote for him. I'm not even convinced you voted for him the first time. But you're not even going to vote for him, so what do you do? You decided to put it all in a book and then sell the book to to the world and make millions of dollars. Oh, well, Trump's such a threat, Mr. Bolton. Do you mind testifying at the Trump impeachment trial? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to testify. I'm going to save it for my book when I can really make money. Well, you know, uh, the president did give you this opportunity, a literal once-in-a-lifetime job to be the national security advisor. So maybe you shelve that book until after the election. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to release it now to do the most possible damage to him and his campaign. So even though he gave me one of the best jobs in the world, I'm going to um, try to do as much damage as I possibly can politically and go on a media tour bashing him at every turn. I mean, to me, I I have very little respect for John Bolton. He shouldn't have taken the job knowing his philosophy and Trump's philosophy. If you take the job, you do the job. He didn't. He he obstructed the entire Trump agenda on foreign policy. Then you, things don't work out. Okay, um, you you hold your tongue until Trump's out of office. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell everybody. All right, if you're going to tell everybody because you genuinely think Trump is a threat, then testify at the impeachment trial. No, I'm not going to testify at the impeachment trial. I'm going to save all these really great nuggets for when my book comes out so I can make as much money as possible. I, I mean, I don't know how you can respect that. Neocon, paleocon, Democrat, Republican. To me, I, I think what Bolton did from start to finish was just reprehensible. I mean, Bolton knows going in what Trump's beliefs are. And so w- what are you going and being a part of that kind of an administration for? I, I mean, uh, whatever. I'm not going to repeat myself. Um, 800-848-9222, uh, 800-848-9222. Billy is in Long Island City. Hello, Billy. Frank, I think I agree with the point you're trying to make. I'm just trying to decipher it through your long-winded style of speaking. If Trump runs again and he goes on and on about election fraud and, and Ashley Babbitt as it was a hero, died fighting for a country, and you hit on a really good point. I'm convinced you alerted me. I think uh, Greg, Ray Kelly, Greg Kelly – is on George Soros' payroll because he comes on every day as Trump's best friend. He's the biggest Trump. He's Trump's worst nightmare. I, I would, if I was George Soros, I would do everything to make sure this guy's on TV, radio every day. 
I mean, he's going to get Trump not reelected. Well, I, look, and all I, the others like him. Well, Billy, uh, you thank know I'm right, and you know I'm right. Well, no, I, actually, I don't get to hear Greg Kelly because he's on when I'm asleep usually, so I don't know what he's saying. But I'll accept your. God bless you. I'll accept your lucky man. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on, no, don't attack the other host. But I'll accept your premise that he is sending saying things that are incendiary. I think. Look, I don't agree with your criticism of of Greg because I haven't heard enough of him to know if uh, what you're saying is accurate. But I'll say this. The reason Trump got elected is not because of conservative Republicans. Trump got elected because of people like me. Before Trump, I never voted for a Republican presidential candidate in my entire life. Never. And wouldn't even occur to me to vote for a Republican presidential candidate. But Trump, his message had such broad appeal to people that believed in a stronger working class. Um, And if you look at the swing states that he won, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, Florida, in of the Trump voters that, excuse me, of the voters that voted for Obama twice in those states, one-fifth of them, 20% of them, then voted for Trump. So if you look at Trump's conduct since the 2016 election, forget about the 2020 election, what has Trump really done to keep those Democrats and independents for Trump? I would argue he's done a lot to alienate them. Uh, So I think Trump is in some ways, he's the favorite for the Republican nomination, although it seems like there's a lot of Republicans that would prefer DeSantis. Um, but I think it's going to be very difficult for him to win back those Obama-Trump voters because every time he speaks, Trump seems much more concerned with ginning up the base and uh, demonizing Democrats and less concerned with keeping those Democrats and independents that voted for Trump in 2016. Uh, now, who knows? Inflation could be so out of control and immigration could get even worse and uh, – uh, and uh, crime could get even worse that and I hope none of those things happen that that uh, it'll be a Trump versus Biden rematch. And a lot of people, a lot of those Democrats may hold their nose and vote for Trump anyway. Certainly possible. But I don't think Trump is helping himself with the strategy that he's employing right now. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me say hello to uh, Richard in the Bronx. Hello, Richard. Hi, um I want to mention one thing. You mentioned you would appoint Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan voted to impeach Trump, so he's out. And number two, you didn't mention Attorney General. My pick for Attorney General in the Trump administration would be Jim Jordan. Well, I'd want to think about Attorney General a little bit more. I don't know Jordan's record. I know him as a congressman. I don't know his record as a uh, prosecutor. And I think, um, to your point, Richard, I know Tim Ryan voted to impeach Trump. That was not an accident that I included him on that list. I think Trump should assemble a cabinet that's a a get-stuff-done crew and that in each cabinet-level department shares uh, his view of what's going on in the country. And I think at labor, by appointing someone that did vote to impeach him, it would send a message to the country that he's interested in unifying the country. So I think uh, I realize that Ryan is not a Trump person, although you'd never know it by the commercials he's running in Ohio. If if you look at the commercials that Ryan is running in Ohio, you'd think he's running to be Trump's running mate. But um, I know that. 
But I still think that uh, when it comes to issues like uh, the Chinese taking over American factories and getting rid of all these unionized workers and replacing them uh, so that they can build they can uh, build stuff very cheaply and send and sell them to American consumers. I think uh, Tim Ryan would do uh, an admirable job on that, and I think he'd win back a lot of these these Democratic these economic populists that voted for Trump in 2016 and 2020. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Chris is in the Catskills. Hello, Chris. How are you? I fell asleep for two and a half hours. I picked up quickly on where the conversation's been. Uh, that's very impressive that you can rattle off all those names so quickly like that. I think Betsy McCoy I wouldn't pick, but the problem tr- Trump might win if it, if there's a rematch. It, it'll be, he'll he'll lose the popular vote, but he'll win the electoral college vote. The problem with populist style politicians is that they have problems expanding upon their base, especially if they act the way that Trump acts. But let's hope if he gets elected again that he acts professional and dignified, you know, becoming of the office, and then he'll he'll history will look at a, much more favorably upon him. But the beauty of living in a state like New York is you can always write somebody in with the Electoral College, and nobody's ever going to win or lose by one vote. You got all those other choices. Well, what yeah. do you think, Frank? Well, that's a fair point. If you want the vote to count for president. You have to uh, vote for a write-in candidate that has uh, submitted a slate of electors to the New York State Board of Elections. But your other point, and this is why I've never really been bothered too much voting in the presidential race in New York, because you know New York is always going to go Democrat anyway. So you could vote third party, and you know it's not really going to affect the the outcome because of the Electoral College. But um, just so folks know about if their vote is counted or not, you're not going to uh, have your vote counted in New York State unless you vote for a candidate, a writing candidate, that has submitted a slate of electors to the New York State Board of Elections. But that's neither here nor there. All right. Um, we'll move on to other things. You want to continue to hold, you're welcome to. Uh, I'll try and get to you. But uh, I'm almost I'm, – I'm trumped out. I'm trumped out in life, trumped out for the hour. So you're welcome to continue to hold. I'll, I'll try and get to you, but I'm, I'm already – realizing why I take such pains to avoid discussing Donald Trump. I'm already realizing. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. is uh, Chris Cross, who in the early 1990s, you may not remember them, their music was awful, but it certainly was popular. And there's something to be said for that. And uh, unfortunately, one of the fellas, I don't know if it was Chris or Cross, um, passed away a couple of years ago. But um, this song is exactly the song that plays in my head 
one of the many songs that's the soundtrack of the heat wave. When it's as hot out as it has been, you just think about this. How much more can you warm it up? And uh, I think Criss Cross was very visionary in this respect. By the way, um, my uh, so we have three cats, as you know, and two of them have all sorts of health issues. One of them was diagnosed with lymphoma, and we began her regimen of chemotherapy by pill this week. I think she's got to take these pills three, either three or four days a week. And uh, we gave Bathsheba her first dose of, uh, of chemotherapy a few days ago, and um, she didn't really like it. So we're, it, hopefully this gets easier going forward as Bathsheba gets used to it. But uh, so far, the first day was a little bit of a struggle for Rachel to administer this chemotherapy. Now, obviously, we're going to just continue to do it. But uh, so far, it's been an uphill climb. So hopefully, this can get a handle on the uh, lymphoma that she's battling. Now, our other cat, Melchizedek, you may remember I've told you that he has diabetes, in the immortal words of Wilfred Brimley. So we and he had a seizure recently, so we had to take him to an emergency vet because his standard veterinarian was not available. It cost us a fortune because we don't have pet insurance for him because of his age and his pre-existing condition that uh, we were not able to get uh, pet insurance for him. So we had to just pay, and it was you know thousands of dollars, a lot of money uh, across two different vets because his normal vet wasn't available. We had to take him to an emergency vet and then another vet, and it was just a crazy situation. So. Lo and behold, my wife tells me yesterday that Melchizedek's normal veterinarian calls her and says, hey, it's time for his regular checkup. Now, this is a cat that's very tough. He doesn't let anybody other than Rachel or me pet him. He refuses to go into his carrier. When we had to put him in a cat carrier um, to move to our house two and a half years ago, it resulted in literal blood and literal tears and and sweat, actually. All three. There was blood, sweat, and tears involved in getting him into a cat carrier. It was very an emotionally traumatizing time for us as a household. So he's not somebody that handles going to the vet well. They have to knock him out so they can treat him at the veterinarian. So we try to only... Take him to the vet when it's, when it's necessary. So the, the veterinarian's office calls and says, hey, time for a regular checkup for Melchizedek. And R- Rachel tells the vet, well, we, because you were unavailable when we were having a health care crisis a month and a half ago, we had to go to another veterinarian that you recommended. And we're not taking him back again because we don't want to knock him out again. And we don't want to spend between 500 and a thousand dollars for you to knock them out and give us the same results that we just got from these other veterinarians, which you recommended. How about you look at that, uh, the documents from his tests that he just got. And so apparently I didn't know this, even though Melchizedek is off insulin, he still has to take the, he still has to eat the, diabetic cat food. And I knew that. Here's what I didn't know. And I don't know if most people know this. You have to get a prescription for this diabetic cat food. Do you know that? Now, to me, that makes no sense. I've never understood why women need to get a prescription for a birth control pill 
And I can't understand why a cat needs a prescription for cat food, even diabetic cat food. Now, you go if you're a human and you need to eat special diabetic food, you don't need a prescription. Why does a cat need a prescription? So basically, my wife essentially, and my wife is as polite as can be and shies away from confrontation with anybody. She tells this woman, no, you know, you need to do the right thing here. We're not going to get him knocked out, traumatize him, spend a day trying to get him in a cat carrier, spend $1,000 so that you can tell us the same thing that this other veterinarian tells us. How about you just renew his prescription for his diabetic cat food? And so basically they did that, but they said, well, she made it sound like this was the last time that they were going to do that. Can you believe these people? I mean, it's such a racket. It's such a racket. Just renew the prescription. There's no need for us to have him knocked out um, to, for you to do these tests that were just done on him. Come on. I, mean, I really was upset by that. So they did the right thing this time, and uh, we'll see if that continues going forward. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Now, uh, those of you that are holding it, we'll get to you. You know, when I went out for my haircut this morning, I, uh, you know, I was already running a little late, and I, I was going to stop and get a Mega Millions ticket because the Mega Millions jackpot was now up was eight up to eight hundred million dollars. But I'm running late. I said, I said, no, let let me get it after my haircut. And I had a couple of bucks on me. I was going to get ten dollars worth of tickets for the Mega Millions eight hundred million dollar drawing. And then while I'm getting my hair cut and I'm listening to Lou, my barber, tell me about his children and grandchildren and baseball and cutting hair and all sorts of other things. I start planning out how I'm going to spend the $800 million because I believe that's what you really have to do. I, I believe the only fun part about buying a lottery ticket is that for the time between the time that you buy the ticket and the drawing – you realize you you f- have fun, you fantasize, but I also am a big believer in positive visualization and the law of attraction. And you may may sound silly to you, but to me, I put a lot of stock in this. Actually, visualizing anything, so I visualize the whole process, and I start planning out how I'm going to spend the eight hundred million. And I say, well, they say uh, figure almost half of that is gone when it comes to taxes. Okay, then. I'm going to lose even more of it because I'm going to get the lump sum instead of the getting paid out over time. And then I start planning out all these expenses and all these charities I'm going to give to and all the things that I want to do with it. And I got too stressed out. I said, oh, my, all the money's gone. And I refused to buy a ticket. Well, there was no winner. So now I am going to buy a ticket today on my way home. If you bought a ticket, what would you spend your money on? Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. The Mega Millions jackpot has skyrocketed to $1.02 billion. That's $1.02 billion with a B dollars after no ticket matched all six winning numbers in Tuesday night's drawing. I will be buying... Uh, how much money do I have on me? I have about $20 on me. I will be buying $20 worth of tickets today. Um, all jurisdictions have reported in, and no one, repeat, no one, has won the Mega Millions jackpot. So it's going to roll in to this $1.02 billion jackpot. If you take the cash option, that is $602.5 million. Now, some of you that understand finance better than me, maybe can educate me. I have heard that even if you're relatively young, because you have two options, lump sum or get your money paid out over time, and you only get the full value if you get the money paid out over time. I've always heard that because of inflation and the time value of money, that it's better to get the lump sum and that you can, you, you're better off appropriating investments that will generate that that amount of money back. Call me and tell me if that's accurate, number one. That's 800-848-9222. But I figure if I win this $602.5 million, that I get, that would amount to about roughly 350 maybe $370 million after taxes. You got to pay a hefty tax bill. So what do you do with that? So I've been spending a lot of time uh, thinking about how I would spend the money. Now, $370 million after taxes, that's something that you could really make some money with. So I'm thinking I would use a million dollars to, you know, buy off, uh, pay off the rest of my mortgage and buy some other property. Maybe I'll spend $2 million on real estate just for myself. Maybe I get a house in Atlantic City or Cape May. Okay. Then I figure I spend another million on my own future education. You know, I've always wanted to complete my master's degree, maybe get a PhD, maybe get one more master's degree, do that. Then, you know, spend a million dollars on Carmine's education. It's earmarked for that, put away. And then if I have another, maybe I'll I'll earmark another two million for future children's education. Um, Then, and this is where I got very stressful, well, it was very stressed out as I was when I was thinking I was going to have to only deal with eight hundred million and not uh, a billion. Then I was thinking about all of my friends and family that I have to give money to, because I know a lot of people and I know a lot of people that are hard up for cash. So I start right uh, thinking, okay, I got to give, I got to give ten thousand dollars at least, maybe twenty thousand dollars to my sister Claudia. Okay. Well, if I'm giving her twenty thousand, then I've got to give my brother Nicholas at least twenty thousand. Wait a minute. Nick's married, so I got to give him a little more because he's a married couple. Claudia doesn't have a married couple. Maybe I have to give her thirty thousand. Okay, give him thirty. Then if I give Nick thirty thousand, what do I give Alex? He's not married, but he lives with a woman. Maybe I give him twenty five thousand. Do I create hard feelings by giving him twenty five, Nick thirty, and Claudia twenty? Maybe I have to give them all thirty. So there, I'm a hundred thousand dollars in. Figure fifty thousand dollars, maybe a hundred thousand dollars worth of gifts for my parents. Right? They deserve it. They've always been there for me. Then 
I have eight siblings-in-law. Eight siblings-in-law. Now, they have varying stages of in being in need of money. My brother-in-law, Adam, is getting married in December. So I figure I have to give all of them a base gift of something in the ten to $15,000 range. And then I have to give Adam a little extra for his wedding when we go down to his wedding in December in Mexico. So figure Adam gets 30000 The rest of them all get, I don't know, 20000 if that's fair. 20000 But that's still, out of eight of them, that's another two hundred and ten, two hundred $230,000. So I'm, I'm burning through money here quickly. Now, um... My mother, uh, my um, my mother I, likes old property, so I think I would buy her an older house that she could work on. Figure that's seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars right there, right? Then I would like to buy a radio station of my own to do different things with radio wise. That's at least another ten to fifteen million dollars after the cost of the radio station and all the other costs that go into that. And then figure I have to earmark another. Five to six million dollars a year to be prepared to run that radio station for the next ten years. So that's fifty million, right? Right there. Before assuming this radio station doesn't turn a profit, fifty, sixty million. I'm earmarking for that. And then I, you know, I'd like to hire some staff. I'd like to have a lawyer on retainer at all times and somebody that can take all these requests of people asking for money. Got to give a lot to charity. There's a lot of charities that I really care about. Figure I'm earmarking another 20 to 30 million to charity. And uh, my wife, she wants to build an animal sanctuary. Figure I give her 5 million for that. We're running out of money quickly here. So what do you do with the money? That's basically my plan. And I, the way I figure it, I have about another $50 million left. Of that, I take maybe $40 million, depending on how you count. 800-848-9222. I'm curious what you do with this money if you win the Mega Millions. One, are you going to buy a ticket? Two, if you do win, are you taking the lump sum or are you taking the payout over time? Three, if you win, what are you doing with the money? 800-848-9222. And then, so the remaining 40 to 50 million that I have here, you see why this was such a stressful haircut for me? Because I planned this with when I thought I was going to only have to work with 800 million, not a billion. And you see how quickly this money gets spent. So the remaining 40 or 50 million, I think I earmark three to four million dollars on running for office as an independent. Maybe the state legislature, maybe Staten Island Borough president, maybe, maybe, maybe mayor. Because, you know, in order to really have any sort of an impact uh, running as an independent, you need to be able to outspend your opponent. So it's not enough money to really run for governor. To run for governor as an independent and have any chance at winning, you really need probably $120, 130000000 million these days, which I don't have now. I don't have. I've only got 40 or 50. I, and um, I also, oh, I am curious also, as you call in at 800-848-9222, I would probably need to invest some of it in money, in uh, investments that would pay me something of a return. So I really like tax-free municipal bonds as an investment. So if I put $4 million in tax-free municipal bonds, I have to figure that's going to generate me at least – 5% return a- annually, right? So maybe a little less than 5%. So I have to think that I'm getting $175,000 tax-free 
every year, which is pretty good. That's more than I'm, you know, it's more than I'm making now, certainly. So I would use that $175,000 to live on and to go to Atlantic City. Oh, I would also throw a big party for all my friends. So I would throw a party probably in Atlantic City and get rooms for everybody, give everybody a little bit of money that they could play with in terms of chips. So that's figure the party, the rooms, maybe we do it at New Year's Eve Eve and the cash gifts for everybody. That's maybe 100 rooms. That gets pretty expensive. But I think that's you think you got to do that. You got to do something like that. Um 800-848-9222. I am curious what you would do with the money. So then any balance after my money that I've earmarked running for office, I would use to fund a um, the building of a third party. I don't know whether I would partner with an existing third party or launch a third party of my own. So now my my billion dollars is spent. How are you spending yours? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Uh, Matt Blaze, are you buying a ticket? Yeah, I bought several tickets. Oh, you did? From last night. I, I mean, see, and you didn't win night. anything? Well, I don't know. I haven't checked oh, you didn't the check. tickets. But um, this is a scenario I've gone over a thousand times. By the way, the winning numbers, do you have your tickets on you? We'll, we'll check that. No, I, I don't. Uh, I don't. Okay, I don't the winning them. numbers, if people are curious and they have their tickets, because you could still win a prize even if you didn't win the jackpot, is 7, 29, 60, 63, and 66. And then the me- Mega Ball is number 15. But go ahead. What are you spending your money on? I've, I've gone through this so many times. I've always said I'd probably buy a decent-sized house. It would not be like a $50 million estate. Uh, I, I'm a car guy, so I'd buy a lot of cars. Uh, I see. See, yeah. I'd give, I'd give money to my immediate family, you know, my mom, my stepfather, my sister, uh, my niece and nephew, my stepbrother. They'd all get money. Uh, and then I, I don't know that I would spend extravagantly. I think I'd buy anything I wanted to. If I wanted to go to a concert, I can get orchestra seats and not have to worry. If I wanted to go to Springsteen and spend five grand on a ticket, I wouldn't worry about it because I could do it now. But other than that, I wouldn't be getting gold-plated ceilings no, or gold-plated no, no. toilets. Yeah, I, wouldn't I wouldn't do anything well, crazy like So, like for that. instance, they're aiming Rush Limbaugh's widow, apparently, and who knows if this is accurate, but Rush Limbaugh's widow, and Rush did very well over the years in radio, uh, he had this compound in Palm Beach, nice house, and they were aiming to sell this house and the whole compound that it's a part of for between $150 million and $175 million. Now, that's a waterfront property with a roughly 24,000 square foot mansion. So you're not spending money on a $150 million property, or are you? No, 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 no. I wouldn't even spend money on like a $10 million property. Well, you know, now the house prices of the house right. is so high. Now $10 million is not really that. They'll get, they'll get you a closet in Manhattan. Yeah, but I'd like, like, yeah, well, in Manhattan, but I, I wouldn't move to the city. I, I'd stay in New Jersey, and maybe I'd buy a $5 million house. It'd be a big size. It'd be a probably considered a McMansion, but it wouldn't be... An estate that has, you know, twelve bedrooms. You keep working. You keep doing your job now. Absolutely. You you do. Oh yeah. Me too. Me Definitely. too. Same same. I would spend some more money on because I love. Promotions. I mean, I love what we do. So I, there's, I would yeah. still work. Same. Matt Blay, uh, uh, Alex Barnard. See, you sat in Matt Blaze's chair last hour, so you throw me. You threw me, and everyone. You, you had, called me Mike last night. No, I called you Matt. Oh yeah, that's right. You yeah, did call no, me because Matt. everyone yeah. that works here is named Matt. Um, there's too many mats in this business. And you were sitting in in Matt Blaze's chair for an hour, so it did right. throw me. But go ahead. What are you spending your money on? Uh, I'm going very big, and I'm going to get 
this is like the guitar nerd in me. I'm getting a 1959 Gibson Les Paul. Oh, those are incredibly rare guitars that were handmade. So you kind of exactly. They, you know, they um, the people people for example who own what did them those go for at least five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars. Mm. Um. So wow. yeah, something of that nature. Um, that's that puts me at what it is eight hundred million. You get if you take the uh, the lump no, sum. No, you take the lump sum, you get about six hundred million. Six hundred million. And but by the way, I'm not forcing you to take the lump sum. You could take the no, no, no. Time. I agree guy. with you. If it's if if you know if it's the pay if the payout over time, you know, with interest and all that stuff, I think that's a headache that I don't want to have to uh, to worry well, about. Well, you know what it is now. Now that nobody won. It's yeah. one point oh two billion. Yeah, I said that. So you're saying six hundred million? Oh, with the new lottery? No, yeah, it's one. It's a one point zero two billion dollar jackpot. But if you take the cash option instead of the lump sum, it's six hundred million. Okay, all right, that's right. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Everybody caught up now. No, because okay. I I actually have a lottery calculator that tells you how much after taxes, but it's basing it off of the. The previous jackpot, which was last night. Okay. Well, I mean, you don't. Those of you listening, you don't need a lottery calculator. Just listen to what I'm saying. That's the right. Go ahead. No. um, So you got the Les Paul guitar. Les Paul. I probably buy a couple of like really rare antique guitars, but I mean that would be the 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 big one for me. Uh, That that's like my vice, I guess, would be a fancy guitar. Other than that, um, money for my mom, money for uh, for family members. Um, I'd probably buy. A house in uh honestly i don't know where i would buy a house i, I it's hard for me to think of well, living anywhere well yeah i could i could but it's hard for me to think of living at the moment living anywhere other than new york city i would do i probably will end up doing it eventually but uh you know depending on what you know moving if moving out of my mom's apartment ever All right, you know see, i like yeah. what i like about your answer is um it's a little out of the box. Like I haven't heard anybody say they're spending their money on a Les Paul guitar. That's that's creative. I like that. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. I'd also probably fund you know some some film projects I'm interested in. Maybe you know invest in a couple of documentaries. I might even open a bar. Might open a bar or like a high end bar and restaurant and not worry about losing not losing money um, in in a place that doesn't have like like an old school loungy type place uh, that. Uh, in a place that doesn't have one, like maybe near where I live. Kenneth, what are you spending this money on? So first, I'd I'd give back to the family first. Right. Okay. Let, let's know, assume the, the, the generic option. That's assume. That's option. assume that's a given. Nobody needs All to call right. in and say that. Okay. And then I'd probably get season tickets to the uh, Green Bay Packers because I'm a big Cheesehead fan. And so, so you're flying out to Wisconsin for the games eight yeah, times a year. I'd buy buy a private jet. Private jet. Okay, that's good. Okay, season yeah. tickets and a private jet. Okay. What are you spending the money on? One, are you going to buy a ticket? Two, are you taking the lump sum or the payout over time? Three, if you win, what are you spending the money on? 800-848-9222. Mark is on Long Island. Hello, Mark. Hi. Good morning. Uh, before I even get into what I'd buy. I would take. Uh, I would be interviewed on TV and and complain about the taxes, <laughs> and just say, you know, sure, six hundred million sounds like a lot, but when you really think about it, just just knowing how everybody's just seething on the other end. You know? <laughs> I I love that, Mark. That's uh, now I'm actually hoping you win because I actually <laughs> want to see that happen. Are you buying a ticket? 
Uh, I always buy tickets. Good. Yeah. Okay, I'm rooting for you now. That's that. That's good. I love that. <laughs> hey, hey, right. Mark, how I'll about this, what? Mark? Mark, I'll get you something for the karma. Okay. Oh, thank you, uh, Mark. Will you um? Will if if you win before you post on up. social media before you you know whatever do a press conference? Will you call into this radio show and announce that you've won? I will send you a picture of me doing Scrooge McDuck rolling around on my gold coins. <laughs> All right. I'm really hoping you win. So, okay, go ahead. But, I mean, there's the obvious, like, you know, St. Jude's and Shriners and Wounded Warrior. Right. Let's assume I'm, family I'm and buying, charity are spoken for. Okay. I'm buying a house within walking distance of, like, Michimoto auction because I got to get my 59 Caddy convertible, my 43 Dodge uh, Power Wagon, I'm just, you know, I'm into old, old car, cool stuff. And then you're going to love this. I want to buy a ranch in, like, Wyoming. And an actual working cattle ranch, I don't ever want to smell a cow. I'm just going to, I'm going to have, I'm going to hire the cow hands, and I'm going to tell them I'm going to set you up with the best of everything, and you guys will get a percentage Based on your rank from, you know, form down to stable boy of the profits, you work hard, you make money. I mean, you know, you make a profit, you'll, you'll get rich. I basically just want to live where I can wear a cowboy hat. People don't think I'm going to a gay bar. <laughs> That's very funny, Mark. So, Thank you. I'm, I'm wishing you the best of luck. Your phone's <laughs> becoming a little um, jarbled, but, uh, but I'm wishing you the best of luck. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Hey, if, if, the, if that guy doesn't win, I tell you what I wouldn't mind, who I wouldn't mind seeing win, is uh, there's this, uh, th- this restaurant chain in, I think they're in Philadelphia. Yeah, Raising Cane's. Have you heard about this? I love what these guys are doing. So Todd Graves is the CEO of uh, this this chain of of chicken restaurants, Raising Cane's. They have 50,000 employees. So you know what he did? He bought 50,000 lottery tickets for every one of his employees. And if he wins, uh, if they win, if any of these tickets wins, he's going to split the money evenly for all of his employees. How cool is that? That that's really neat. I really like that. Uh, I think he did it for the last eight hundred and ten million dollar jackpot, and he didn't win. Obviously, maybe some of them won something. I don't know if they got a smaller prize. If he's going to do that with them, or it's just the jackpot. But um, I uh, I think that's really neat. I'm also curious if anybody's in like a lottery group at work that traditionally pitches in and how that has worked out. I, I've told this story before. One of the things that I really got a kick out of is 10 years ago, I'm covering a trial. It's a racketeering trial. And all the lawyers that are on the defense team, they all throw in $2 to buy some group lottery tickets. And this was one of these crazy big lottery jackpots. Not like this, but at the time, it was big by that standard. And so one of the, they all put in, and there's, they're, they're representing a client that's on trial for racketeering and loan sharking. Ultimately, he was convicted, was sent to, I think, 45 years in prison. And the lawyer says to the person collecting the money, here's $2 for Dino. Take that for Dino. And I thought that was so nice that uh, he put in for his guy 
uh, and that uh, if they won the lottery, even though this guy would be in prison, he'd get a, a share. I thought that was nice. So I like what this uh, Raising Cane CEO is doing. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. D- uh, Alfredo is in Newark. Hello, Alfredo. Yes, Frank. Good evening. I, I I am going to buy that ticket because of you, because I didn't know it was too much money. And uh, the first thing that I will do, uh, it will be for myself. I will buy a McLaren, $1 million. Wait, wait, who's, who's $1 million? Uh, McLaren. This is a car, McLaren. Oh, oh, okay. Got it. Got it. And then I will buy a mansion for me and my extended family, like uh, maybe $10, $20 million. And I will put everybody who wants to come with me to live together. And uh, I will give everybody maybe $20,000. And also, uh, the mansion has to have a uh, swimming pool, a uh, soccer field, and a uh, tennis, tennis, uh, tennis uh, court. All right. Thank That's you. It. Thank you, Alfredo. What are you spending the money on? Are you taking the lump sum or payout over time? Are you buying a ticket? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. By the way, so you don't have to call in and say, I would give my family this, I would give my family that, and I would give uh, all these charities that. Let's assume, unless otherwise stated, that you're giving your family some money and you're giving a bunch of charities some money. Because I think everybody's doing that. Is anybody stiffing their family and their all the charities? If you are, then call and say that. But you don't need to state, I'm taking care of my family and I'm giving money to charity. So just assume that's said. 800-848-9222. Robert is in Suffolk County. Hello, Robert. Hi, good morning, Frank. Morning. Uh, interesting uh, what you say. Uh, you Thank have you. some good ideas, I Thank think, you. for yourself. The Muni's is a good one. I like the cat sanctuary. The wife would want to have start. But maybe you, supporting no-kill shelters around the country might be even better. Okay. All right. Thank you, Robert. Well, again, you could spend your money the way you want to spend it. You let my wife and I spend it the way we want to spend it, right? 800-848-9222. My buddy Hank is in New Jersey. Hello, Hank. What are you spending your money on? Well, I'm going to sound like a Scrooge because I'm going to just keep it all. But I, I will take the lump sum because at my age, I don't I don't have to, I don't want to lose it by uh, having dropped it dead in one or two years. But... Uh, I will be able to take care of uh, what have to. And I'm going to put you down for a million dollars. Oh, thank you, you, you Hank. Been very good to me and Jimmy over the last 10 years. And basically, that's going to be my approach. Who've been good to me, respected me. Uh, as far as donations for charities, I am just so tired of listening to. Uh, wherever you go, TV or radio, uh, you know, so much for this, so much for that. Uh, I, I think our government could handle all of the uh, people that are hungry in Haiti and places like that. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to just take the money and maybe just stay where I am and, and, and live the way uh, God made it be to be. Uh, that's about it. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very boring, but that's No, no, hey, me. whatever works, Hank. I love your list, believe me. Did you buy a ticket already? Well, actually not for the new jackpot. Are you going to buy a ticket? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, hopefully, I'm wishing you the best of luck as well. You know, that reminds me of the film Waking Ned Divine. Did you ever see this film, Waking Ned Divine? It's a very, it's a cute film. It's, it's, uh, it, I believe it takes place in Ireland. I haven't seen it in 24 years or whenever it came out. I saw it when, shortly after it came out, and I haven't seen it since. But it's always stuck with me. And they get word that, um, I'm trying to remember exactly what happens, but this fellow becomes convinced that somebody in his town is going to win the lottery. So he throws a big party for all the people in the town. It's a small Irish town. Throws a big party for all the people in the town, and he's extra generous with them. His wife makes everybody a chicken supper. I think he may have already known that somebody in the town had won. And then um, and then um, he te- makes a point of mentioning at the dinner that, well, you know, if I did win, these people around me would be the first people that I'd share it with. So um, and then I'm not going to tell you what happens because because it is kind of a fun movie. And if you're in lotto mode this week, at least until this drawing takes place on Friday, it might be a fun movie for you to see. Waking Ned Divine. But um, I'm going to say the same thing, right? Anybody that called today, I'm going to give you a cash gift. I'm not promising you a million dollars like Hank is promising me. And I will say it would be a little – it would be nice if you gave a little money to our our staff here. You know, um, not enough for Alex to buy one of those guitars, but uh, enough for him to pick up the pizza bill once in a while. Uh, enough for Kenneth to get treatment for his bizarre – cheese-hating disease, enough for Matt Blaze to buy uh, maybe not a whole vehicle, but a tire, maybe. You know, you know what I used to say I was doing with the money? I would, I would sit in the front row of every wrestling pay-per-view. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, I get tickets. Would you still do that? I don't think so. I might yeah. go to WrestleMania, though. Maybe. Yeah, that's fine. Well, why don't you launch your own wrestling promotion? Oh, that's kind of, well, that's true. I had all that money. Yeah, right? That. That'd be fun. Yeah, what what about that? You could do that. That would be fun. I might think about that. Yeah, think about that. It's something if that I, I win, could have some you know, fun with. Yeah, right, if you win. Yeah. You'd be a manager. Exactly. I'd love that. Frankie in Glendale, what are you spending the money on? Well, uh, what happened here in Glendale, they opened up a homeless shelter, and the property owner who allowed this to happen, I would um, every day hire van loads, uh, drivers, and, 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 and these guys who really have nothing to do during the day, pick them up, and uh, transport them to the house of where this guy lives and give them $100 a day and just, like, yeah, listen, I would definitely do this. And let them just run around in that guy's neighborhood, you know, where he lives. And uh, there's another one on my block. She uh, uh, inherited a house. Uh, She lives in Manhattan, and she has a house in the Hamptons also. Uh, What I would do is... uh, by on top of her, under her, to the side of her, uh, also out in the Hamptons, the properties around her, and pull the same stunt off and have busloads of uh, these, uh, you know, uh, uh, marginalized uh, gentlemen and let them go out there and enjoy the uh, activities. Well, you know, there uh, you go, Frankie. Thank you. That's creative. See, I thought when I should have known that I was getting it, it was going to be a left hook, but. Uh, I thought when he said oh, they have this homeless shelter, I thought he was going to say I was going to find homes for all the people in the homeless shelter. Silly me. I'm being too naive. Mike is in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hello, Mike. 
Hey, how you doing, Frank? Uh, I, I buy the lottery tickets every week. I buy five drawings, Lotto, uh, Mega, Powerball. So I never got a rush like everybody rushes to go buy tickets. And I get a big kick out of, like, last night happened to be in the store, and so many people coming in. And you don't see that at a million dollars. It's funny, you know, people can't use a million, but, oh, my God, $60 billion? I got to go get that. <laughs> you know, I mean, don't, it's it's ridiculous. And then, as far as that guy's concerned with homeless people, they put a house like that, you know what I'd probably do? I'd probably go down that place, and I'd probably do get something for the homeless guys so they're not walking around the neighborhood doing nothing. That's what they do. They open up these shelters, and they just stick them in there, give them a bed, say, there you go. They have no teachers. They have no nobody, nothing to take care of them, you know, to, to prepare them or, or get them back on their feet. They just, like, dump them in a joint, and, oh. and that would be wrong. And veterans would be the big one. And the other thing I would do is I would call Alan West, and I'd say, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm donating to your campaign for president because that's what we need. As the president. Well, but so, like, but so with Alan West, though, right, or any presidential candidate, so it takes. What are you going to give Alan West? What are you going to donate to him or spend on his behalf? Because you're limited to only two thousand dollars. But let's say you wanted to sp- set up an Alan West super PAC. What would you spend? Twenty million, thirty million, forty million? Yeah, let's say, let's got to see what I got in my pockets and what what the taxes and. What's going to be good without me going broke either? You know what I mean? Well, but that's but the I thing, though, something. is I, I don't know that you'd be able to spend enough on Alan West in order to make a difference in a presidential campaign. Because I, I, I wonder about that for myself is, you know, it, it, or I don't even think it's enough to make a difference in an election for, for um, you know, citywide or statewide office potentially. But, you know, I, I don't know. People should spend money on what they want to spend. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We are going to give away... Not a billion dollars, but a thousand dollars. Hopefully, um, if you can answer ten trivia questions in sixty seconds as part of the thousand dollar minute, be the seventh caller to one eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 right now. That's eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two, and we will give you an opportunity to answer some questions, and then you can you don't need to fantasize about how you would spend a thousand dollars. You can just spend it. How great is that? 800-848-9222. Seventh caller, straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The musical genius of uh, Old Dirty Bastard singing I've Got Your Money. All right. Well, hopefully we're going to have some money for you in uh, just a moment. Uh, This is the portion of the show where we try to give $1,000 away to whoever can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. And uh, it is time once again for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's meet today's contestant, Frank, in Toronto. Toronto, Canada, Frank. 
That's right, Frank. Wonderful. All right, good. I appreciate you listening in Canada. Is it a problem for you that if you win the money, it will be in American currency? Uh, no, I trade on the U.S. market uh, daily. Oh, good. Okay. All right. Well, uh, hopefully uh, we're wishing you the best of luck, Frank. You, you've heard the segment before. You know the rules. Yeah, I love the show, Frank. Oh, well, that's nice. Well, now I'm rooting, really rooting for you. Okay, uh, let's get started. How many minutes are in an hour? 60. What is the capital of Italy? Rome. Name one of Donald Trump's two sons. Uh, Don Jr. What animal is the mascot for Energizer batteries? A rabbit. What congressman is the new is the Republican nominee for New York governor? Mm, this could be a trouble. I've heard it, but uh, gee, he was recently attacked. Uh, yeah, damn, just in Rochester too. Uh, damn it, I'm not going to get it, Frank. Starts with a Z. Uh, sorry, I just can't get it. Ah, all right. I'm sorry. See, that's a tough question, uh, given that you don't live in the state or even the country. But I had hoped that because we mentioned him earlier that you would have uh, come up with Lee Zeldin as the uh, congressman. Yeah, no, there. I, I, ju- I just woke up, so uh, I got lucky and got in on the line. But I ah. haven't heard your, phone, your, your show between uh, whatever, one and three. Uh, well, I'm sorry you didn't win, Frank, but uh, we are going to give you a consolation prize. So please hold, and we will um, give your information to Kenneth, and we'll send you we'll send you something good. Okay? Hey, thanks, Frank. All right, sure thing. All right, uh, that's a shame. He was on a roll too, and you know he was answering those questions at a good pace. Is it unfair to include a Lee Zeldin question? I don't think it is, and here's what: when Zeldin was attacked last week. He that story was covered nationally. It was covered all over the news network, Fox News, CNN, the major newspapers. It was news every. And if you listen to this show, we do talk about it pretty regularly, including I mentioned it today. See, that's the key. You got to listen to the whole show, because a lot of times the the questions are clues that I've said from other points in the show. So that's the thing. So I'm sorry that uh, that he didn't win, but uh, it happens. It happens. All right, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything that we have covered thus far. That's 800-848-9222. I will tell you, I, uh, last weekend I mentioned that I got an opportunity to see not one, not two, but three motion pictures. And one of the films that I saw was Handsome Devil. This is an, it's funny, I was just talking about another Irish comedy. But this is an Irish comedy drama film, Handsome Devil. It's on Netflix. That um, I guess, you know, I, I guess there are themes of latent homosexuality and exposing homosexuality in this film as well. Just as there was the last comedy that I was telling you about, Straight Up, I think what happened was is when I added Straight Up to my Netflix streaming list, it it picked up similar films with similar themes. And one of them was, oh, if you like this, you might like Handsome Devil. And I added Handsome Devil to my theme. It's about six years old, this film, and it centers around a young man named Ned 
who's an ostracized teenager at this elite boarding school in Ireland where everybody at the school except him is obsessed with rugby. And then he ends up as his new roommate, this fella named Connor, who happens to be the school's star rugby player. And they develop an unlikely friendship. So I don't want to tell you anything that happens, but the film explores all sorts of themes of uh, homosexuality, examining things like hypocrisy and snobbery in the Irish private school system. I liked it. Uh, I think it has a great soundtrack. I think it's shot very well. I think the acting, including the the actors that play both of the main young men, were very good. It's won a lot of awards. It's gotten nominated for an, a, lot, a lot of awards. And it's gotten pretty good reviews on Rotten Tomato. It's got an 83% approval rating on Rotten Tomato. Uh, Rotten Tomato. So um, I enjoyed it. So if you're interested in Irish cinema, you know what I liked about this film, unlike some other Irish films that I've seen? They have a nice Irish accent, which I like. I don't like when the Irish brogue is so thick that I can't understand what the people are saying. There's been a few Irish films that I've seen where the brogue is so thick that I almost feel like you need subtitles in the uh, in the film. That's not the case here. Uh, by the way, a film that was on Netflix last year that was nominated from, for a um, an Academy Award was a film that I liked, but I feel like a lot of the people that saw it didn't like it. And that's a film, um, Don't Look Up, with Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Jennifer Lawrence, two actors that I think are very, very good. And it's a comedy film, but it's an allegory. It deals with some serious issues. And basically, the premise of this film, Don't Look Up, is that there's a giant comet hurtling towards the Earth, and half the world doesn't care. And they refuse to even acknowledge the, the comet. So there's this news clip when Jennifer Lawrence, who's a scientist, is on one of the morning news shows there. It's, it's a news show basically like Morning Joe. And she's on this news show, and she's trying to warn everybody about the comet, and they're not really taking her warning seriously. Sorry, are, we, uh, are we not being clear? We're trying to tell you that the entire planet is about to be destroyed. Okay. Okay. Um, well, it's, um, you know, just something we do around here. You know, we just keep the bad news light. So a few days ago, in the midst of this heat wave that is enveloping not only the United States, but Europe, everyone was saying that there was this news clip from a UK show on GB News essentially downplaying the heat wave warnings. And a lot of folks said that this was very similar, and it did look kind of similar, to that same scene in the film Don't Look Up. This is the uh, segment from this GB News segment when uh, the British meteorologist John Hammond was talking about how hot it was going to be and in Celsius, warning everybody about the temperature and how it could get worse. Oh, you see, John, you're outside enjoying yeah. the sunshine. It's not too hot, is it? No, it's, it's absolutely lovely. It's, what, 20 degrees out here? It's perfect. But um, on a serious note, folks, um, by early next week, you can scratch 20 degrees. It could well be 40 degrees. I think 
there will be hundreds, if not thousands, of excess deaths early next week. Yeah. The charts that I can see in front of me are frightening. So we all like nice weather, but this will not be nice weather. This will be potentially lethal weather for a couple of days. It'll be brief, but it'll be brutal. Oh, so, John, you know, we can... We can Oh, oh, yeah. So, this is so, John. I want us to be happy about the weather and every single. I don't know whether something's happened to meteorologists to make you all a little bit fatalistic and, and <laughs> harbingers of doom. Because all of the broadcasts, particularly on, on the BBC, every time I've turned on anyone's talking about the weather, they're saying that there's going to be tons of fatalities. But haven't we always had hot weather, John? I mean, wasn't the 76, the summer of 76, that was as hot as this, wasn't it? Uh, no. Uh, and, you know, we are seeing more and more records, more and more frequently and more and more severely. Uh, so, yeah, some people always hark back to the summer of 76, which was a freak event 40 odd years ago, over 40 years ago. Uh, but heat waves are becoming more extreme. This is yet another one which is coming down the tracks towards us. So I thought, I mean, it is pretty similar to that scene in uh, in Don't Look Up. Now, today in the New York area, I think it's going to be a little cooler than it has been. It looks like this heat wave may have broken, and it looks like um, we could be in store for some thunderstorms Thursday and Friday, which should cool things down a bit and uh, hopefully produce some nice weather for the weekend and then some nice uh, weather for when I'm away on vacation next week down at the uh, the Jersey Shore. But I'll tell you, it has been awfully hot lately. I felt that when I'm listening to people talk about the weather and how hot it is and they don't want to do anything and they almost get crazy because of how hot it is, I almost feel like I'm living in that episode of The Twilight Zone where it's just getting hotter and hotter and hotter because the earth is moving closer and closer to the sun and neighbors are, they're moving. They can't get out of New York fast enough because New York of all places getting way too hot. I feel like, you know, I watched this, the beginning of that episode recently and both with the hot weather and the people moving out of New York, I felt like real life was emulating the twilight zone. Susie! Don't take the ladies' water. It's all right, Mr. Schuster. I've got plenty. Nobody's got plenty. Oh, Mr. Schuster, I, I thought I heard your voice. For the last time, Mrs. Bronson, we're leaving. Did you, uh, did you get gas? I got 12 gallons. I figure that ought to get us at least to Syracuse. Where are you going? To Toronto. We're trying to get to Toronto. Mr. Schuster has a cousin there. You know, I'm not so sure it's wise you're trying to do this. The highways are packed, bumper to bumper, the radio says. And what with the gas shortage and everything? I know that, but we've got to try anyway. It's been nice living here. You're good neighbors. When you walk outside and it's that hot out, as it's been the last few days, and you're hearing all these people go crazy about how hot it is, don't you almost expect to turn and see Rod Serling giving some background context for why it's gotten so hot? There was a scientist on the radio this morning. He said that it'll get a lot hotter more each day now that we're moving so close to the sun. And that's why we're... That's why... The word that Mrs. Bronson is unable to put into the hot, still, sodden air is doomed. 
because the people you've just seen have been handed a death sentence. One month ago, the Earth suddenly changed its elliptical orbit and in doing so began to follow a path which gradually, moment by moment, day by day, took it closer to the sun. And all of man's little devices to stir up the air are now no longer luxuries. They happen to be pitiful and panicky keys to survival. The time is five minutes to 12, midnight. There is no more darkness. The place is New York City, and this is the eve of the end. Because even at midnight, it's high noon, the hottest day in history, and you're about to spend it in the Twilight Zone. A fine episode, and uh, uh, the ending of that episode I just love. Uh, if anybody calls and comments, don't mention the ending of the episode because if people haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil it for them. Although, I mean, it, the episode did air 70 years ago, so I'm not sure what you're waiting for. 800-848-9222. Joe is in Ron Konkama. Hello, Joe. Hey. I want to, first of all, I want to thank you for that shirt. I received it yesterday. It's gorgeous. I'm going to wear it with pride. Oh, good. Um, Great. If I, I, if I won the lottery, Frank, I would definitely hook you up. I would hook up Frankie from Glendale. Uh, set my kids up, you know, but one thing my wife laughs, I wouldn't move out of my house. I would expand on it. I would stay there and buy other homes, but just to piss my neighbors off that would put a right of me, I would stay there. And I would also buy a house in South America. So I would know where it is. And uh, I would invite you down there with Rachel and little Carmine and we could uh, do uh, some trivia questions down there. <laughs> I, I like it, Joe. I like it. Uh, good luck to you. I'm glad you got that shirt. Glad you're enjoying it. 800-848-9222. Mickey is in Brooklyn. Hello, Mickey. Hey, good morning, Frank. How you doing? Good. Uh, I hope. You, well, I, I should say I hear you're doing good. I like that. Thank the, you. The show is fantastic. What I'd like to say to you is the lotto. What if you won that whole, not the lotto, I mean the uh, the mega. Okay. Or any, any actually anyone, any one of them. If you donate all the mo- not all the money, but the portion that would be in taxes, would Uncle Sam say, okay, you don't owe us anything? Well, you would certainly reduce your taxable income, right? I mean, I would consult with a tax attorney about how to do this, but it's not a dollar-for-dollar dollar, uh, credit. What, it, what happens is yeah. um, you reduce your taxable income with your, with your deduction, but it's not as if – all of a sudden, you don't have to pay any taxes. But I, I'm, I don't pretend to be an expert. I would hire an accountant, CPA, and a tax lawyer just to work on minimizing my tax liability. Because I'd rather give the money to a charity than to, you know, Uncle Sam, quite frankly. Because I'm, I'm convinced that a lot of these charities that I would support would do a better job getting this money to the people that need it instead of um, instead of giving it to the government so that they can, you know, go and... Uh, bomb innocent children in Yemen. 800-848-9222. Those of you that are holding, you're welcome to continue to hold. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame next. There are one, two, three, four, five open lines, and uh, you can be heard for 15 seconds. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano.
Thank you, Andy B., for uh, our theme song. Uh, before we wrap up, we're going to give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds, 800-848-9222. This is a segment that only works if people participate. So I'd love to get some new voices in there, too. So we have three open lines now. I'd love for you, if you've never been a caller to this segment before, to be a caller. 800-848-9222 and be heard for 15 seconds as we embark on another edition of... Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Rob in Hamburg, New Jersey, which makes him a hamburger. Hello, Rob. Hey, Frank. Love the show. If I hit the lottery, all my relatives, 10 million apiece. And don't call me. I'll call you if I win. <laughs> 800-848-9222. Cheech in Howard Beach. Yeah, if I win mega, I would make uh, Mr. the great Mr. Casamatidis an offer he couldn't refuse. I'd buy WABC Radio, give you a daytime slot so I can go to sleep. Uh, <laughs> hire back Ron Covey, put in with uh, Curtis, and then uh, we'll go out for uh, cocktails. Frank in Ontario. Yeah, I'll never forget Lee Zeldin, Frank. Uh, I love the show. Uh, too bad I woke up late uh, or early, however you look at it. And uh, if I'd won that thousand U.S., I would have turned it into a million as the Dow will hit 29,000 within the week. Rick in Tom's River. Good morning. I bought myself a cat ass in Nevada and be director of personnel. <laughs> 800-848-9222. Oh, on the Upper West Side. I would buy upstate 100 by 50 miles land, build some 300 miles of autobahn, club members only. Property tax would be paid from profits of casino that would have always door open for you. Ivan in Woodhaven. Joe Lewis fought exhibitions in World War II, donated all the proceeds to the United States war effort, and the United States paid him back by hounding him for income tax for the rest of his life. Troy in Babylon. If you want to have some no money down, uh, need some good uh, trick stock advice or stock tips, go to Wall Street Gold. Go, go to Facebook.com slash Wall Street Gold. That's Facebook.com slash Wall Street Gold. All right. That slams the lid on things for today. You want to email me if you didn't get through today, you can do so. Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. It's Frank.Morano uh, at WABCRadio.com. Frank Morano, good day.